This is a fourth church, okay, in the seven. And the reason it's going to be a little different is because we're covering uh, the church here that is the big, uh, the biggest factor, or the, let's put it this way, it, it encompasses the largest scope of all the seven. Uh, it's got the longest history. Uh, it's the longest epistle of these seven, okay? And so we can't just go through it like the others because this thing started way back in the 6th century and it's still going and it will continue to go up until the Lord's return. This is Thyatira. Okay? And uh, based on this, uh, considering this, I felt like, well, if I just try to interpret the verses in Thyatira like we've done with these first three churches, uh, this won't mean so much. Uh, for two reasons. One is unless you see the whole vision from Genesis to the end of Revelation, you, re you really would not comprehend what Thyatira is. Okay. Number two, because Thyatira represents the apostate church, uh, nearly all the verses here are, are negative. Okay. So uh, there's nothing good to say. You see, uh, so uh, we don't want to spend a day of being negative. What we do want to spend a day is to get a vision of what God has done throughout these ages and also how the enemy has tried to thwart and frustrate God's doing. And by seeing this, this will uplift your apprehension, even your appreciation of Christ and His pure body, which is His church. Okay? If we never have a contrast, if we never, if we never, if the Bible only presented the positive things, we would never appreciate only the positive things. The Bible is very faithful to present uh, God's way, His person, His work, His economy, and so forth. It's also faithful to present Satan's person, his way, his work, and his means, you see. And it all focuses on man, and so man here is in a dilemma in the Bible. He's, he's caught in the crucible of a struggle between the uh, power of darkness and, and the power of God, you see. And here, uh, in going through the churches, we have to have a background. If we don't know how sinful weak and hopeless we are, then we would never have the full enjoyment of Christ. A sinner cannot be saved unless he knows he's a sinner. Okay? A person cannot experience Christ as their life if they know that their life is a flop. You cannot experience Christ as your righteousness if you don't realize that your nature is an unrighteous nature. You see, all the time you have to have a kind of a, uh, a substantiating a background so that you can fully experience Christ. The negative things, which are the works of the devil, according to 1 John, the negative things are the threshold, the doorway into the positive experiences of Christ. You follow me? The negative picture of man's blowing the testimony of, 
of the Lord. In Revelation, it's called the testimony of Jesus. Man's uh, inability to uh, meet the standard of this testimony is necessary if we are going to see what uh, has frustrated God and frustrated His seekers so that we could rise up and be that testimony. You see, if we just present it and you say, oh, that's what it's, that's what it's like, and you don't have a contrast, then you can walk right out and you still would not be clear what to, what to uh, uh, leave alone and what to embrace. That sword d- does have to come in and to divide light from darkness, right? It has to divide death from life. It has to divide Christ from all the substitutes. Okay, then we could see something. So we, we uh, uh, always have to have two things in our Christian consciousness. One is the depravity of anything that has not been touched by the regenerating life of Christ. Okay, and two, we have to see that Christ in God's eyes is everything, and we were created for Him to be everything to us, so that before God we would be people who are just one with, mingled with, and filled with Christ Himself. Then we would become His testimony, which is His body, which is the church. Okay? The church. Not the church in history, but the church in reality. Okay? Now, uh, before we go any further, uh, are y'all okay? Are you a little cool? Everything's okay? Everybody's t- okay, fine. Uh, probably it would help, and then when it gets warmer this afternoon, we'll open up some windows and things, and we'll be okay. Okay. Now, uh, the church in Thyatira is a hard job, okay? And I'm going to really have to uh, fight <laughs> so that uh, uh, this is not just a kind of a you know, negative word. And so forth. But what I really want you to do is I want you to hear the conclusion of the word to Thyatira, which we'll get to, which is come out of her. Come out of her. Okay. Now, first of all, uh, on this chart that you were just looking at, you have to realize that four types of Christian uh, systems are on the earth when the Lord comes back. They are on the earth right now. And we have to pick which one of these four we're going to be in. We cannot be in Pergamos any longer because that age is over. Now, we can still be in the world, but that, that's different. That's a, that's a leftover of Pergamos. That's not the church in Pergamos. Neither can we be, go back and be in the Roman Empire under Smyrna. Neither can we go back to the first age, the first century of the Apostles' Uh, time, the initial stage. But Thyatira goes all the way to the end and all humans are either in Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, or Laodicea. Even if they say, I'm not in anything, actually, their, their thoughts, their philosophy, all categorize them in one of these places. So today, we can be on one of these lines. We can be on the Thyatira line, on the Sardis line, on the Philadelphia line, or on the Laodicea line. Three positives, I mean three negatives and one positive. Okay? Now, when we say three negatives, that doesn't mean that they were all totally negative. Mm-hmm. You see? There were varying levels of uh, things that were negative or dark. 
you see. But with Philadelphia, we finally realize God has gotten a recovered testimony that matches his heart's desire to the degree that he can say, this is my bride, I will go back and have a marriage with her, and this will usher in the next stage, which is the kingdom age. The kingdom age is the marriage feast and the, of, of the Lamb, and the, and the body of Christ, the church, becomes His bride and then His wife. Okay? So, where are we today? Are we in Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea? As we go through these seven churches, all of its far is to identify where we are so that we can know what we should leave and what we should keep, what we should release and what we should embrace, you see. Uh, actually, if we are honest, our, our being is a composite of all of these things. Right. You see, even including uh, even including Ephesus, because all of all Christians have to face the the uh, the battle of who is our first love. You see, we all have to face this battle. That's right. Okay, but as far as being in a particular type of system, okay, there are only four that you will in God's eyes. This is God's eyes, not what you think. Was what God thinks. Okay. We're, we're found somewhere. Okay. The line of Philadelphia is the line that will bring in the, the next stage. It, it is the pure bride of Christ. That's why to this church, God says, I will give you the keys of David. David represented the, the uh, kingdom in the Old Testament. And so these keys will be the keys of the kingdom, which... Which Philadelphia will be will, will usher in. Okay. Now, in order to come into Philadelphia, you have to come out. That's why the Bible ends in Revelation 18 with the word "come out." That's right. Okay. You have to come out. If you're going to get on the line of Philadelphia, you have to come out of things. Amen. You have to come out of uh, what was wrong in, in Pergamos. You have to come out of what was wrong in Smyrna. You have to come out of uh, what was the problem with Pergamos and compromising. You see, you have to come out, come out, come out. Okay, so uh, if you want to come in to Philadelphia, which is just the pure uh, experience and expression of Christ Himself, worked into His people to produce His testimony, then you have to come out of everything that is a substitute a facade, a falsehood, or a compromise. Right. And you have to come into this line. Amen. Okay? Now, everybody here, you see, everybody here comes out of one of these one of these lines. You see? Okay? Amen. You come out. Now, some of us come out of Thyatira, some of us come out of Sardis. Maybe uh, some might come out of Laodicea, it's possible. But I don't think uh, at, at our age here that would be too much problem right so the big the big ones are Thyatira and Sardis Sardis represents the reformed church the reformation this is protestantism mm -hmm. okay and we'll see there's many good things to say here and then there's things that are rebuked here mm -hmm. this is a this is a reformed situation but it is not a recovered situation Philadelphia represents the recovered situation Thyatira mm -hmm. you see represents uh, the system that is not the Protestant system, but is the Catholic system. 
Okay? So all of us here came out of one of these. Don't say you didn't come out of it. And in some cases, some of us here came out of both systems. Okay? For example, uh, I came out of Sardis. Okay? I came out of Sardis. That's where I came from. Okay? Now, uh, some of Sardis is in me. But you see, a lot of Sardis came out of Thyatira. That's right. That's right. So in some ways, I came out of Thyatira. Mm. I just didn't. I just didn't realize it at the time. But now, having gone back and studied the Bible and history as well, now I know I came out of. I came out of. Uh, out of both to some degree, right? Mm-hmm. However, I can't say I'm fully out because things in me I'm not even that aware of. I still. I still, I mean, I haven't arrived yet, you know. We are still under the process of transformation. So, so uh, we, are, we have come out as far as a stand, and we are in the process of coming out as far as our being is concerned. Okay? So, have you all, all got this kind of uh, basic concept down? This is where we are. Now, uh, for example, uh, some here uh, definitely... Your background is Protestantism, okay? That's 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 the majority of Americans. You have a how many have a Protestant background? Yeah, mostly here. Okay, how many have a Catholic background? This is a, okay. It's about fifty-fifty. That's roughly the way America is. That's right. Okay. That's if you right. if you leave out if you leave out uh, the Jewish factor and so forth. Now, of course, we we have other religions today uh, that that don't have anything to do with God as as God is revealed in Christ. Okay. These don't even count at all. Uh, what, what what is revealed here? What is revealed here is something of God in every situation. That is something Christian. If not in if not in reality, at least in name. So this is this is what's revealed in Revelation. It doesn't try to cover you know Buddhism, Taoism, uh, Hinduism, and uh, what kind of meditationalism and all. It doesn't try to cover all. This doesn't have anything to do with Christ. But you see, this is not uh, obviously if we if we're into that, we're 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 far out. Right? So this has to do with the Lord Jesus Christ and His testimony, which is called the church. Only it has developed problems. It has touched things. It has been influenced by things around it in, in its environment historically over 2,000 years so that there is an accumulation that has transpired. So John wrote this down. You can believe me that John was fully baffled at many of the things he wrote. Why? Because he was in the initial stage and a lot of these things had not even happened yet and so he wrote them down faithfully. That doesn't mean that he could apprehend what would happen for 2,000 years after his death. Right? But anyway, here we are. Nearly 2,000 years later, we have to take the light from the Word Apply that to church history and see both God's pure move and Satan's uh, subterfuge, his counterfeit. Okay? Then we would be clear how we need to go. Now, do you see this? I want you to see this. Don't think I'm here just being negative. No, this is the Bible. If the Bible doesn't want us to see this, it wouldn't be here. This is not me. This is not a history lesson. This is not just uh, being down on anything. No, I don't mean this at all. This is for our going on to be the testimony. Don't say I'm in Philadelphia and somebody else is in Thyatira. You have this kind of attitude, then right away you're out of Philadelphia and you're into Laodicea. What is Laodicea? Puffed up and proud that they're no longer in Thyatira and Sardis. That's right. 
So say you can't win. You say you can't win. This is good. No one wins. You know what I'm saying? The flesh doesn't win. The self doesn't win. The only winner is Christ. And the only winner and the only product will be Philadelphia. See, no one can boast. No one can say, oh, wow. And it, uh, is, uh, you know, it, this, is like the, this is like the example the Lord gave in the Gospels. It said, thank you, God, I'm not a sinner like him. You know? And uh, the other one beat his breast and said, God, have, be merciful unto me, a sinner. And the Lord says, that man is righteous. You see? This, is our, this is our attitude, okay? But we have to have light. We have to have light. Uh, so that we can see God has always been moving in history to bring us back to His original intention that is revealed in the Bible. Not one word more, nor one word less. Okay? The Bible's light is the standard that we have to arrive at. Okay? Now, Thyatira is a big job, but it, uh, uh, Thyatira is probably, in its purest understanding, uh, what will give us uh, the best foundation to understand how the enemy began to uh, put in the things, okay, so that the church was no longer according to God's original intention. He began to uh, infiltrate. You see, to put in, to in, inculcate inwardly. And the church took all of this in, you see, uh, beginning all the way with Ephesus and so forth. Pergamus, don't you think the church took in a lot of the world? Now we come to Thyatira and the church starts to take things in. And you know, because it was for so long, it was a thousand unopposed, uninterrupted years not a fighting, not where you've had a choice really, but for a thousand unopposed years, these things came in. A millennium of time with nothing to stay the tide of things coming in. This made Thyatira what it is today and made it eventually to become, according to Revelation 17, mystery, Babylon, not the small, not the medium, but the great. Babylon the Great. Thyatira in Revelation chapter 2, historically speaking, is but, uh, is but a part of the revelation of the great Babylon that Satan has established. That is the epitome of his kingdom, as we'll see as we go on. Of course, I cannot do this justice. We're talking about a thousand years of history that's carried over till today. And I'm supposed to cover that all, you know, in, in one day. You see, this is not possible. I would just urge you, if, if, you're this, if you have a desire, uh, in fact, I'll maybe give you a couple of books that would, I would recommend you read a few hundred pages. Then you get the real feeling and the real taste, okay? In fact, there's nothing I'm going to say here uh, that uh, I haven't picked up, you know, from the Bible are uh, some uh, very godly and scholarly uh, work done on these matters. Okay? This is not just something I just thought, well, that's, that's just my opinion. and uh, I want everyone to know that this is the absolute final word. This, no, what I'm fixing to say is the accumulation of, of, uh, of what God has arrived at and it's it's uh, it's there. It's it's been brought out into the light, and it's gotten into God's people. Uh, that is, those who have been seeking after Him. Okay. 
And today we wanted to get into all of us. Amen. Amen. Saints, we want to come out of everything that is short of Christ. Everything. It doesn't matter. Don't say this is good and this is okay. Where I came out of was the place I got saved. I got saved there. Solidly saved there. You see, you would say, oh, you got saved there. This is good. There can't be anything wrong here. To be saved is one thing. To be the testimony of Jesus to express all that Christ is, this is another thing. You see, it's relatively easy to get saved. I I would even say Satan, he will fight against people getting saved, but he, he he will not be that upset. Because look, he's got, for everyone that gets saved, think of how many he's got that he keeps in his kingdom of darkness. He can spare people to get saved. But... If people who get saved are raised up to be matured, to be the testimony of Jesus, to express Him as the church, then that is related to Christ's coming. And Christ's coming is related to His going. <laughs> see, that upsets Him. You see, even people are in the kingdom of God on this earth, but still He's, he's running loose and wild in the universe. One day, in the next age, He'll be bound and thrown into the bottomless pit. Then, do you think He'll be happy? That's why at the end days, His rage becomes so strong. Right? His rage becomes so great. This is why He raises up the Antichrist. You see, uh, He becomes so great. So that we would be fully, uh, you see, we would be fully... Uh, yeah unable to rise up and God could not say, Satan, in spite of everything you did, I still got my remnant that are now faithful to me and they are the testimony that belongs to me. So now I am ready to come back and I have the basis and the authority to say that the divine life prevailed and not your kingdom, not your authority of darkness. Therefore, I will come back. The church is like a little beachhead. You know, an army that's going to invade a country has to get a beachhead. It's like a little beachhead. Once God gets the beachhead, He'll he'll, uh, come back. The Lord Jesus will come back and then He will take the whole earth. You see, today the church is his little his little beachhead. We have to, right. he has to have a landing pad. Okay, Amen. today the church is his landing pad. Then That's he will right. take the whole earth and issue in the next stage of the kingdom. Please see this. Please, please, I beg you, I beg you, whatever I would do anything, I'll, if I would help, I would give you anything. Just see. God has to move in recovery. He has to have an ultimate product. Satan's ultimate ultimate product is Babylon the Great. Mystery Babylon the Great especially. The Lord's final product is the New Jerusalem. Not the great city, but the holy city. that comes down out of heaven from God. You see... That's his final product. You want to be in Babylon the Great, or do you want to be? Uh, you want to be someone for the New Jerusalem. What do you want to be? Think about it. You see, it all depends how we do in this age before the Lord Jesus is coming back. Okay, I think you got it. Now, uh, first of all, uh, in your outline we have uh, the church in Thyatira, and we have several points. And I'd like these Roman numerals. Could we just look at these real quickly? Uh, number one, uh, what we'll cover is the what? Source. The source. 
Then number two will cover what? The type. The type. This means the figure, the, the prefigure that is uh, there in the Old Testament that is fulfilled in the New Testament age. Okay? Number three. The principle. Number four. Number five. And then number six. Okay, we have the source. So you have to see the source of Thyatira. Number two, you have to see the, the uh, uh, type of Thyatira is there in the Old Testament. Then number three, you need to see the principle of Thyatira, which is in the Gospels spoken by the Lord Himself. Then number four, you need to see Thyatira itself, okay, which is right here. Okay, and these are the verses in Revelation. Finally... Finally, you have to see the consummation. Please don't leave today until you see the consummation, or you won't, uh, you won't, you won't get the the point. Okay, you'll leave with with uh, kind of half truth, half knowledge, and sometimes that's dangerous. You got to see the whole thing. Okay. All right. Uh, trying to do my best. I'm caught between covering material and trying to be somewhat. You know, we we can't. Just be uh, Christians are not just uh, uh, academic people, okay? So I, on one hand, I, I need to present an, a certain amount of material, but uh, I'm so I'm so burdened that we that we're in life. You see that we that we just are here today. We just love the Lord Jesus. Right. You know, I, I don't want to. I'm caught. That's see, right. the more I think about, it, I just don't know. So I just I told my wife, well, today will be. Will be the will be the worst one or will be the best one because it, it can't be. I mean, it has to be one or the other. Okay. So if 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 uh, if if I flop, I'm sorry. But at least may, if I flop, may the Lord have mercy right. and apply. You know, with His Spirit, He can do that. If He could speak through the through the donkey back in Balaam, may He can He can speak to me. It's okay. But you see. We, we want to be in the light. This is not knowledge. You know, when, when, when we speak, when brothers speak, and, and we prophesy to one another, uh, one thing, we have to deliver light and truth to one another. We have to speak the words of God, you see. But we can't just speak them in a casual way, you see. Uh, uh, there, has to be some, there has to be some spice in this. You see, there has to be what? The spice is the element of, of God Himself. See, you know, when you, when you eat just regular soup, it's just soup. It's bland. Right, That's but right. when you eat, you know, this real spicy soup, and boy, it's got peppers and you know, and chilies, and it's, you're sweating. I mean, <laughs> see, this is what this is what this light should do. It's not, oh, well, isn't that interesting? It's, oh, oh Lord Jesus, bring me out of that, bring me out of that, you know. See, we should be sweating. right. We should, we we can't we we can't be, you know, oh, this is. Oh, hum, you know, right. this is like a, a course in history that I took in uh, on the Renaissance and uh, at UT. No, there's no sweat there. Right. The professor's so nice. He's so, he, but, right. but no light. There's no light. You see, we need to see the light. Okay. This is so hard. It's so hard. I don't even want to start. <laughs> I'm, I'm worn out already thinking about it all, okay? Sweaty. See, I know. See, I know I, that whatever I have, I can only cover maybe half of it. I know that. So, see, right, right away, I'm thinking, what am I going to cut out? I have to. I have to make a decision. And I've already cut out a, a, a ton just to have enough. 
you know, so it's it's not eight thousand years. Things were going That's on. That's right. It's a millennium. Okay. Anyway, we have to come out of her. Okay, the source is in Genesis one. Uh, uh, excuse me, Genesis ten verses eight through ten a. These little verses here uh, are uh, not known by too many, but this is the source. Little bitty thing here is the source of Babylon the Great. And Cush begat Nimrod, and he became and he began to be a mighty one in the earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Wherefore, it is said, even as Nimrod, the mighty hunter before the Lord. Before here doesn't mean that he did this uh, in God's presence. I mean, it does mean he did it in God's presence. It doesn't mean he had a relationship with God. He did it before the Lord. Uh, This is mentioned many times in the Bible, in the Old Testament, before the Lord. This means God saw it. In some cases, in Hebrew, this same word before is translated against. So-and-so was against the Lord. (laughs) So before doesn't mean good here, it just means in the sight of, okay? Before the Lord. And the beginning of His kingdom was Babel. So the root, the source, the seed is Babel. And this little bitty seed will become Babylon, the great. Just like the serpent in Genesis 3, one little bitty creeping thing became the great red dragon in Revelation 12. Satan ate so much that he enlarged himself ultimately to become... I mean, there's a lot of difference between a snake and a dragon. Between this primal kingdom of Babel was produced a massive monstrosity called Babylon the Great in Revelation. Okay, but it has to have its beginnings, and uh, uh, we'll take some time to look at it. Now, Nimrod was a mighty hunter. You see, uh, geographically, uh, Babel is located where what we where the literal city of Babylon is located today. There's a literal city there. Now, it's no longer uh, inhabited. It's it's just ruins. You can you can uh, get off a train in Iraq. It's in today's Iraq, right over where they're fighting. It's uh, it's it's uh, south of Baghdad, and uh, you can be driving a train, and it will say, you know, it'll stop there, and it will say ruins of the ancient city of Babylon. You just get off and go walk around the ruins. Okay, this was quite a kingdom at one time, and this is where they had the famous hanging gardens of Babylon, which is one of the ancient seven wonders of the world. I think you all know about this. Okay, so Nimrod was there. You see, Nimrod was a mighty one. And he was in this area, and this area was filled, of course, with all kind of wild animals. This is why he became a mighty hunter, uh, okay? But in, in a sense, he became a protector of the people uh, in their eyes because he was so mighty. You see, he was raised up to be a kind of a lord, a kind of a mighty one, a kind of a, uh, you know, uh, a head of that, of that people. And they looked to him for protection, and he was raised up as being the mightiest of however many people were there. Okay. Then, at a certain period in time, they 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 realized, well, you know, uh, we have to change our strategy a little bit. No doubt, Satan's mind was behind all this, but humanly speaking, they realized we have to change our strategy a little bit, and they did this. Okay. How did they do this? Well, they did this 
by consolidating into cities. And so this was the beginning of, instead of living out there exposed to the elements and wild things, they began to consolidate and use walled cities for protection. And the first one of these that began to be developed was called Babel. And then some other little ones, you see. But Babel became, became the uh, key administrative place because that was the city of Nimrod. That was his kingdom. And it later expanded, as we read in the Old Testament, even Nebuchadnezzar, see, was the uh, ruling one out of Babylon, right? Okay. This was his kingdom. Now, at this time, also, in this very place, he, was, he became like a king. Now, he might not have had that name, but he was, a, he was the ruler, okay? He was the mighty one. And at that time, uh, he, Nimrod, instigated the beginnings of what came to be a very elaborate system of worship and religion. Okay, Nimrod. Nimrod actually means, and this, this is how it came, you see it developed. Okay, let's put it this way. You see, all of this is without God. There's nothing here of God. This is, this is what today we call pagan. Okay, it has nothing to do with the, with the triune God. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And so, you see, there is one thing. Let me just ask you. Look, Kevin, you're here. Just think a minute. Uh, and, and if you're going to worship and you want an object of worship, think about it. Now, eliminate, eliminate the true God. Okay? There's nothing like that. Okay? There's no being like that. Now, there has to be... What, what would be the first thing to your mind that you would think would be worthy of worship? A physical thing. Something big. Something, something big. Yeah, like what? Yeah, you see, on the on the whole earth, you see, everybody everybody realizes that life is sustained by one thing: sun, the sun, the sun. You know. So, the worship of the sun became the the first and the seed of all pagan idolatrous worship is the sun. It became the, the foundation. There, there became many things sprang out of that, but the sun became number one. Look, in Mexico, you know the, the background. There's a lot of sun worship, right? This is true in all cultures, unless there's a revelation of the true God. You see, how could you worship something else and neglect the sun? Right. If that's God, boy, if, he, if He's mad at us, we're really be in trouble. You know, if, you know, you, He might get mad at uh, you know other things could maybe be neglected, but not the sun. That's right. You see, Nimrod became uh, established there not only as the Lord but as the religious leader, and he was known as the Sun God. Okay, Nimrod equals the sun god of the beginning of the religious system of Babylon. Okay, just remember this because you will see the development of this uh, as it goes on and on and on. Okay, Nimrod. Right. Now, uh, Nimrod, you see, uh, here I'm going to put uh, 
uh, his name. Okay, Nimrod. Uh, he had a wife. That's right. First part of her name is uh, Semi. And the last part is Ramus. And, and uh, so forth. Anyway, uh, they, you see, they, she was fully into this. And uh, we'll, we'll get into to her role in a little bit. But as years went on, even after Nimrod's death, this priesthood, you see, this pagan priesthood, worshiping the sun god as its basic worship, began to develop more and more. Okay? Now, after Nimrod died, Semiramis, his wife, lived on, and she had a son, uh, and his name was Tammuz. Okay? Tammuz, according to the religion in Babylon, uh, was not a regular child. This child was said, was uh, propagated and and uh, and uh, established by his mother, Semiramis, to be the reincarnation of her former, her late husband, <laughs> Nimrod. So that Nimrod was was the the sun god, and Tammuz was the reincarnation of Nimrod, meaning that he also was the sun god. So, though he was a child, uh, you see, uh, he was uh, he was uh, the uh, furtherance of the sun god, and you have this uh, you have this mother named Semiramis, and you have this child named Tammuz. Okay, it is amazing. Now. Uh, the amazing part uh, I haven't said yet. See, you've already figured it out, but others haven't. You wait, you'll see. Okay, now, now, listen to this. This sun god here, uh, Nimrod, uh, later, now I'll show you, but later in the Bible, this is expressed mainly in two uh, pagan gods that always were encumbrances and uh, factors that uh, caused the children of Israel to stumble as we read in the writings of the Old Testament. That is the sun god. What is the sun god? The sun god is Baal. B-A-A-L. And it's also Ashtoreth. Okay, these two are related to the sun worship. Mostly Baal. Okay. Now, how did this happen? Well, as we see here, the beginning of his kingdom was Babel, and we know uh, by reading the Bible that there came a time when the evil came into being so strongly, and they built a tower in Babel, and that was called the Tower of Babel. If you you know you know this if you've read the Old Testament. That tower, you see, was the accumulation of the evil of all the people. It really represented their reaching up into heaven. They were asserting themselves as being a heavenly thing, you see, higher than God, you see. That's the significance of this evil tower. And you see, they all spoke the same language. They all, were one, uh, they were all had the same mind. And so this was a thing that God saw that if this, if, if this goes further, uh, the earth has no chance. Right, And so at that time, God came in and He confounded their languages and everyone began to speak different languages they could no longer communicate. You know, this is really a big thing. It shows the power of communication. When they could no longer communicate the evil things one to another, the evil things had to stop there. You see, the evil things stopped. 
So right here we have Babylon, the kingdom of Babylon, and all of this religious system developed that we'll see uh, as we go along. But uh, the thing that's striking is at the tower, when God dispersed all of the people, you see, because of they couldn't talk, they went their ways, you see. And so what we have is this big exodus uh, going to uh, all different places, you see, uh, on the earth, and this is how civilization was established, and that's why today the, all of the human cultures and, and races are a result of the of the uh, uh, division that came in in a positive sense. God divided all of this evil up and scattered it out, you see, so that it wouldn't uh, accumulate and ruin the earth for His purpose. So He, he scattered it out so that He could work uh, in all of different situations and have a recovery. Okay, look at us here. Look at look look. Uh, you can just see all of the differences that came out. You see, and so forth. <clears throat> okay. Uh, this is this is what developed. Now, all of this was going on. People were all over the world up to a certain point. You see, uh, and they would only be. Uh, amalgamated together. They would only be consolidated if some great person or empire took, took the place over. Okay? This happened once or twice. Okay? But it did not affect religious things that much. Uh, Alexander the Great, you know, he did a lot of things. Actually, his empire was very weak. He just, he just went and came and it was just a short term. I mean, a map, it makes it look great, but it really didn't have any political power except in a few areas like Egypt and, and very close to the Mediterranean and so forth. Okay, but, but uh, uh, it wasn't until the Roman Empire came into being Okay, when the Caesars were raised up and they consolidated all of what was in the known civilization at the time. Of course, we know that there were people elsewhere on the earth. But as far as the known civilization at the time, uh, it all hubbed around the Mediterranean. The Roman Empire consolidated all of the kingdoms, nations, empires around the whole Mediterranean. Y'all know this. I don't need to draw a picture of the Mediterranean. That wouldn't be easy to do. And you, you can, can't you all see this yeah. in your mind's eye? Okay. It, it encompassed all of the area around the Mediterranean. And it consolidated, not just in a little way, but it consolidated in a big way, right. you see. So if I, could, if I could say this way, okay. Uh, all of these things. Now, this is just uh, small. If you can, uh, no one knows the number of lines that would go here in the dispersion. But eventually, what did happen was the Roman Empire came, you see, and all of these were consolidated under one empire, under one government, under one realm, under one authority. And so we have all these cultures, all these languages, all these even religions. But we have one government, one authority, and that's why Constantine had his vision is if we're going to be really of one accord in this empire, we're going to be one in everything. And one of the main things was religion, and that's why he says we will Christianize everybody. And uh, so you, you were converted to, not to Christ, but to Christianity, you see. And so you became a citizen of the Roman Empire, equal to be a citizen of the church, meaning you are a Christian. See, that was the mixture of the church with the world, meaning this was false, you see. Of course, there were genuine Christians at that time, but the system itself was, was, was uh, devilish, not godly. 
Okay? So, we have this consolidation with Rome. Y'all all follow that? <clears throat> now, uh, the thing is, when Rome consolidated all of these, all of this, uh, all of these different things, <clears throat> the church, which we know here as Thyatira, began to be established. Okay, uh, the Roman Empire was raised up, and the church, you know, after it was raised up, the church, the real church, became established. This church went from stages uh, downward, actually, from Ephesus to Smyrna to Pergamos, and then finally down to Thyatira. You see, before it started to be recovered back up. Okay, so here, you see, you can say we have the church. Uh, all these lines eventually, you see come in and and here we have in the Roman Empire in the Roman government headquartered at the city of Rome something began to develop which was nothing less than the Roman church okay everything else was Roman and so was the church it was the Roman church it picked up the word Catholic later Catholic is not a bad word it means people Okay, it was the Roman people church. It meant all the people in Rome and so forth. It was the church of the people of the Roman Empire. Okay, which at that time was universal. Yeah. So Catholic is a universal people's church. Okay, the the Roman church started to incorporate all of these things. This is this is how this is how uh, one of these things that used to be Nimrod here as the sun god along the way became Baal. Okay? In one aspect. And it was given another name in another culture, and another name in another culture. But it was all goes back to the dispersion from the uh, real uh, massive religious system that began there in the kingdom of Babel. Okay? And so it got different names in different cultures, but they basically had the same, uh, they, they had the same concept. Okay, they just developed it, and they uh, uh, they added to it, and they had specialities, but the basic concept was the same. Okay, then the, the uh, Roman Catholic Church eventually was raised up, and it was equivalent to the Roman Empire, and so they had a problem because they had all these cultures and all these things. You see, what to do, what to do. Okay. So that was the setting of the stage of Thyatira. Thyatira eventually had to deal with all of these cultures, religions, and so forth that had a pagan origin in Babel because the Roman Empire had conquered all of that land and all of those people. Is this understandable to everybody? Okay, then if that's the case, we'll, we'll move right along. Okay, then in 1 Kings you have the type. And uh, here is where uh, Israel in the Old Testament gets involved with the very development that I just showed you, okay? All of the nations started to, uh, you know, had their particular uh, brand, if I can use the word, of the original Babel religion. Okay, here's, here's the brand that uh, is in 1 Kings. And in the thirty and eighth year of Asa, king of Judah, began Ahab the son of Omri to reign over Israel. And Ahab the son of Omri reigned over Israel in Samaria twenty and two years. And Ahab the son of Omri did evil in the sight of the Lord above all that were before him. Okay? Ahab is not a good king. 
And it came to pass as if it had been a light thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, that he took to wife Jezebel. Remember Jezebel, boy. Because you know who she is? The daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians. Because of her. And she was the daughter of the king. That made her a pagan princess. Therefore Ahab, under her influence, went and served not the, not the God of Israel, but who? Baal. And worshipped him. And he reared up an altar for Baal in the house of Baal. So we have not God's house and not God's altar. But here we have Satan's substitute, Baal and the house of Baal. Okay. Where was I here? And went and served Baal and worshipped him. And he reared up an altar in the house which he had built in Samaria. For it was so, listen to this, when Jezebel, look what she did, cut off the prophets of the Lord. That's what Jezebel did. She cut off the word of God. She cut off God speaking. And Obadiah, who was the good guy here, a prophet, right, took a hundred prophets and he had to hide them by fifty in a cave and fed them with bread and water. That was a, a temporary salvation. They were slain later. Now, therefore, send and gather to me all Israel unto Mount Carmel. Okay, now I've skipped uh, over into chapter 18. <clears throat> okay, and this, and this is uh, Elijah speaking. Now therefore send and gather to me all Israel unto Mount Carmel and the prophets of Baal, 450, and the prophets of the groves, 400. This is the first mention today I've mentioned anything about trees. Okay, But I want you to know that in the Old Testament, the groves, the trees, especially it would mention the green trees, are tied in uh, tied in very closely. They're in lockstep with idolatry. Their altars were in the groves. And, and another point is they were on high places. High places and the groves. Okay? 400, which eat, and where did they eat? Jezebel's table. She was the leader of the pagan priesthood. She was their sustenance. She was the animus behind the whole thing. She, she brought, she corrupted Ahab, uh, uh, and Ahab corrupted Israel, and Israel fell into idolatry. They were carried away into captivity. Those ten tribes were lost forever. The only ones that were truly recovered was the southern kingdom, which was Judah. Okay? So they were totally corrupted. They were, and, and so judgment came upon them early. We saw all of this in, I, in Isaiah recently. Okay. Okay, they were sustained at uh, Jezebel's table. Then in chapter 21, it says this, But there was none like unto Ahab, which did sell himself to work wickedness. He sold himself to work wickedness in the sight of the Lord. Listen to this, whom Jezebel, his wife, stirred up. She was the dynamic force That's behind right. the whole thing. Okay, Jezebel. Okay, now, this corrupted the children of Israel. This was the Old Testament type of what would happen to the New 
Testament church. That is, things from the neighboring environment where they did not worship the one true God began to infiltrate the kingdom of Israel and this took them away from God to serve what? Baal, that was idolatry. Right. And that was an abomination. You know, idol, an idol is an, ab- is an abomination. These two are synonyms. This is why when the Antichrist... Uh, finally does his thing at the end time. Uh, it's, it says the abomination of desolation. What is that? That's his idol in the temple that's restored in Jerusalem. Okay. <clears throat> now, you got that? That's the typology. Now, when we come to the New Testament, the Lord Jesus has some words to say. He has a number of words to say, but I've only taken one little thing for time's sake. Okay. Yeah. And here... Uh, it has number three, what's called the principle. Okay? The principle is in this one verse, Matthew 13, 33. And another parable he spoke to them, he said, The kingdom of heavens, the kingdom of the heavens is like leaven. Okay? This section of Matthew 13 gives three parables about the kingdom of heaven being uh, having an appearance that's negative. That is in contrast to the kingdom of heaven is like the sower who went out and sowed the seed. That is the reality of the kingdom of the heavens, right? But here, uh, the kingdom of the heavens is is uh, uh, portrayed as being negative in in three ways. There's that big tree, right? And here's the here's the leaven that comes in, and uh, what's the third tares. one? The tares among among the wheat. Okay, came in. The tares is negative. Okay. Okay, here is leaven. In the Bible, if you've read the Bible, everybody knows leaven is negative. Okay, leaven is negative. That's why even at the Lord's table, we, we uh, partake not of bread that's leavened, but of unleavened bread. The feast that the Jews were commanded to keep in the Old Testament was the feast of unleavened bread. You see, unleavened, nothing of leaven in there. Okay, and so here it talks about the kingdom of heavens is like a is like leaven. Okay, remember leaven. Something came in. It's called leaven. What is it? Leaven. Leaven is all of these things that filtered down, that filtered out, got dispersed, got consolidated, and filtered into for one thousand years into the church of Rome, and these were leaven. And the Lord said that the kingdom of the heavens, you see, would be likened to leaven. Okay? And, and uh, what happened? It says, which a what? Woman. This is a reference to the Jezebel of 1 Kings. Okay? A woman took. A woman. You see? Uh, the Bible does not use the term woman. It always uses the term man unless it has a particular reason to use the term woman. Okay? Man represents both man and woman in the Bible. You understand that, don't you? God just says, and man, let us make man. That means man. You know, it, it encompasses everything, you know. God is willing, you know, that, uh, that all men should repent, right? right? This right. means men and women. Right. Okay? But when he says woman, there's a reason he says woman, okay? Here, this woman represents the woman who leavened, okay? This woman is Jezebel, who is who will become the apostate church right. called Thyatira. Okay. Which a woman took and hid. She hid it. Sneaky. That's a real factor here. She hid it. She didn't put it. She hid it. That's right. <laughs> you see, 
We're talking about today something that is very big, but it's also very subtle. That's why it's called mystery, because it's hidden. It's hidden. Mystery Babylon the Great. See, worldly things are not hidden. Material Babylon is not hidden. Okay? That's outward. The whole world can see the material realm of today, but when things are hidden, that means you don't know. You can't see it uh, so clearly, so obviously it's hidden, and you don't know the source of it. You can't trace it down, you see. So uh, she hid this leaven in three measures of meal. Okay, what is, what is the meal? According to Leviticus, the meal offering represents the all-inclusive Christ to be our nourishment and our life supply. You see, that's Christ. That's all the aspects of Christ. We should enjoy Christ as the meal offering. The meal offering is one of the five basic offerings, right? Uh, in addition to the sin and trespass offering and burnt offering and so forth, you have what? The meal offering. The meal offering is what you do after you have been cleansed of your sins. You've offered uh, the sacrifice, you see, for sin. You've offered the burnt sacrifice, you see, which is the basis. Right. Christ was burned, totally consumed for God's purpose, and He was totally consumed on the cross. That was His altar. And due to that death, that crucifixion, that was His consummate, that was His uh, being consumed, you see. That was the basis of all the sacrifices. After that, in resurrection, He became the life-giving Spirit, which was what? Food for us. This is our meal. This is what we eat for our life supply. This is why He was called the bread of life, you see, because He is the meal offering. Okay, in the Old Testament, it was the meal offering. You, you eat this offering. Okay, it was made in such a, a wonderful way to eat. That's a picture of Christ being our food today. But here, the woman took... Look, uh, Christ is unleavened. If you read 1 Corinthians, you can see clearly it says that, uh, you know, Paul told him, let us keep the feast, not with the leavened bread, of you know negative things, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Okay, so Christ is unleavened. He's unleavened. Okay, you see the three. The, it, this was hidden. Three. You know, it, it says here three measures. In according to Leviticus, uh, it took three measures to make a meal. So this means this is a full meal. Okay, a full meal offering. Hmm. It took three measures, uh, then you had a meal. So uh, the leaven didn't go into just some of Christ. It went into all the things of God. All the things of Christ got leavened. There wasn't one thing left untouched by the leavening factor that was put in by this woman. Okay, this is a significance. Okay, it was a full uh, meal offering representing the full, all-inclusive Christ. So all the things of God and all the things of Christ got touched, affected, and damaged by what leaven that went in. Okay, then what is the principle of leaven? Leaven is got a simple principle. On the, in the physical realm, what does leaven do? Leaven, leaven uh, is put in uh, so that things that you want to eat, if you want to eat bread, I'm pretty sure you want to eat leavened bread. Because... It's what ma- it, it's what makes it rise, expand. That means it's soft, and you can chew it, right? If it's unleavened, it's just it's just a thick. You see, leaven just rises, lets all the air get in. You know, when you eat when you eat leaven things, now you're eating a lot of air, right? It's easy to eat. Have you ever eaten a big hunk of unleavened something? 
you can't do it. Just, just uh, I'll tell you, just one little bite. That's right. Uh, you couldn't eat something bigger than an Oreo cookie that was unleavened because you would have to chew. It's hardtack. Chew and chew, you see? Yeah. It's hardtack. This is what the sailors, because leaven would spoil. It had all the air in it. You could get uh-huh. in it. But see, because hardtack, there's no room for anything to get in. It would keep. And so they, yeah. and, it, and it had a lot, you know, a little of it was worth a lot of leavened bread. So, you see, it was very nourishing, uh, yeah. relatively speaking. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. The principle is leaven has this, it has this effect. It makes the things of God in a negative way, easy to eat. Easy to eat. Okay, understand me now and don't misunderstand me. The things of God, which are Christ Himself as a Spirit to eat, these things, it is true, spiritually speaking, that they are simple to eat. They are simple to eat. As profound as Christ is, He is simple to eat. Anybody that desires to eat Him through His blood can enjoy Him because He has redeemed us. Therefore, we are qualified people to eat Him. Just like it says in John 6, He is the bread of life. Okay? To be simple is one thing, for it to be easy is another thing. Okay? It is not easy. What do I mean? When you make it easy, this means, this means. let me put it this way. When you eat the unleavened Christ, He comes into you and He works into you and He divides, like in Genesis, the light from the darkness. Right, right. He divides things, right? He divides, like in it says Hebrews 4, He divides the soul from the spirit. You see, he divides us. In other words, he comes into us, but he, that's not, that's, it's not just, oh, he came in. He came in and he operated and he does things. That is his transforming work inside of us so to make, uh, to make our experience of him a reality. Mm-hmm. Okay. When you put leaven in, what you're saying is you can, quote, eat the Lord... But it's not a real taking in of the Lord. Therefore, He's not really operating in you. Therefore, you really don't have to undergo what? The cooperation with Him so that you can be His testimony. Therefore, you don't have to change your living. Therefore, you don't have to... In other words, you can have your cake and eat it too, right? You can do your thing. You can still be the way you want to be. It doesn't affect your life. It it makes no demands on you inwardly. You see, you just uh, uh, are there. and, And so you have a supposed relationship with God through Christ in some kind of way but it has no impact and it doesn't affect you uh, in, in any substantial way. That is un, that is a, a, a leavened Christ. So easy to eat. Now think about today's religion. You see you can have Christ. All you do is you go to a few services, a few this is, a few that's. You get a few things done to you, and you go out and live your life. This means this means the Christ you're experiencing in that system is a leaven Christ. But you see, we would present to you 
an unleavened Christ. See, no air, no fluff, no frill. It's not that easy to eat. It's simple to eat, but when you when you take him in, be ready. He's going to start operating in you. You see, moving. He's going to say, he's going to say, Jeffrey, no, no, you can't do this. You're a child of God. You can't, you can't, you can't participate in this and that and so forth. You're a child of God. You have to follow me. You have to be one with me. You have to live in the light. He will affect you this kind of way. You see, am I right or am I wrong? Okay. See, if this is true, then you have an unleavened Christ. But the principle, you're the principle behind Babylon the Great, the principle of Thyatira, you see, is to put uh, leaven in. This makes everything easy. You can, you can uh, have your so-called Christ and live your so-called human life in just about whatever form you want with just uh, maybe uh, some very minor adjustments. That's, that's the apostasy of the church falling away from God's original purpose. You see the principle? Okay. Now, uh, we need to go on further. Cruising right along here. We need to go on further. (laughs) See, it's not easy. Just this one point, I should stop here and apply this in about 10 or 15 different ways. But there's no time to do it. Otherwise, we won't get get to the, the last chapter of the book, if you don't see Babylon, uh, if you don't see mystery Babylon the Great, you won't be that impressed. Okay, now we come to the development of this leaven, the development of all of these things that that came about. And remember this diagram up here. You see, as the Roman Church began to be developed here the Roman church, it began to have to deal with all of these elements from all of these nations, uh, cultures, and so forth that already had established over several hundred years their religious, their own religious system based on the seeds that they brought with them from the original dispersion in Babel, from Babel, okay? They would add to, they would develop, they would so forth, but the seeds of it, uh, in seed form, it would go back there. Maybe the outward uh, manifestations would be different, but the seed of it all would go back there. And this is what eventually happened to Thyatira. The seed of the whole thing would go back there. Now, before we get into the verses, let me mention a few characteristics that I would like to mention about Thyatira, and these are historical so you can have some perspective. Number one, I want you to realize that Thyatira is a continuation of Pergamos. Okay, we've already said this. With Pergamos, you had Constantine the Great. He was what? The Caesar. That means, in effect, he was the king, right? But but, uh, shortly after he consolidated all of his power over all of the Roman Empire, he took the office of priest. He took the Christian office of priest and he kept the pagan office of priest. He had a dual priesthood. Do you all remember us covering this last time? He had a dual priesthood. Okay? So he was the priest. You know, this means, this is pontiff. The the word pontiff actually means priest. Okay? Uh, And the word pontiff literally means bridge, uh, bridge maker. So a priest is a connecting point between two sides, okay? So the pontiff as the high priest 
became the bridge between heaven and earth, between man and God. So you really couldn't get to God unless you get on the bridge of the priesthood. Okay, do you, do you follow me? You see, the, the whole system of the priesthood, which had its seeds in, in, in Babel, began to filter through all the religions, and all of them, listen, listen, it's amazing, all of them had their priesthood based on whatever flavor or brand of paganism that that culture undertook. Do you follow me? Yeah. Okay, I, I, I'll win eventually. You just give me time and I'm going to... Yeah. You see, it's, it's like, it's like a, a law court. You know, evidence has to persuade the jury. You just... just, they, just yeah, give me the time and I'm, I'm going to persuade you. You might, you might not... Uh, you might be fighting me a little bit right now. That's okay. But just give me time, okay? <laughs> okay, now, where was I? The bridge. Okay, see, the bridge, the, the, the priesthood came in here, the priest being the raising up of a mediatorial class between God and man when the Bible states emphatically that there is no mediator between God and man. What? Not, not no mediator, but there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. No bridge makers. Now, is it true or not true that in the New Testament the believers are called priests? Yes. Yes. Okay. Then how do you reconcile that? It's easy. As priests, as priests, you see, we do serve God as priests. We are a royal priesthood, it says in 1 Peter. Okay. What can we do? In a sense, we can serve like a bridge and bring people to God. See, but the priesthood that we're talking about here, having its source in Babel and fully developing in Thyatira, that priesthood was there to bring man to God instead of that man going to God. When we are a priesthood, mainly through our prayer, you see, we bring man to God so that that man himself can go to God himself. We pray for that to occur. We have no intention or thought that we replace that person's direct contact with, with, with God. You see? So we are a priest to bring people to God like this so that, so that what? They will have the personal experience. The other priesthood was the mysterious priesthood that somehow, some way, or some, in some kind of a funny fashion, they had the standing and had been given authority to bring people to God so that that person does not have to have a direct contact with God. Okay? Okay. So, can you see how with Constantine he was a king and he was a priest? Okay? Uh, presiding over the kingdom politically, over religion in the pagan form, and over religion in the Christian form. He did it all. Yeah. He was a real forerunner of the papacy yeah, right. which is the pa which is the system of popes okay as the kingdom as the roman empire kingdom waned in its military authority it rose in its religious authority so that the city of rome over hundreds of years underwent a slow transformation a kind of like a metamorphosis Okay. That is the the uh, 
Caesars, who were all powerful in the beginning, waned as time went on in their authority and power. And the religious leader uh, was ascending all the time until it, at one point, you see, the, the priest... We're down here, and, and I mean, the religious side was down here, and the political side was here. They were going like this. And at a certain time, and this was in the fourth century, they passed. And, and the religious side became more dominant than the, the political or military side, you see. And so, gradually, the supreme pontiff, the supreme pontiff was no longer the Caesar. But the supreme pontiff became the bishop of Rome. The bishop of Rome. You see. So he was the supreme pontiff, in, which in Latin uh, is still quite prevailing. It's called the, uh, how do they say it, the uh, uh, Pontus Maximus. I believe it's Pontus Maximus. It still owns some old coins at that time. Pontus Maximus, supreme pontiff. Okay. This became, see, okay, you can say, well, well, how did this happen? You see, there were, uh, from the Bible, the, the word bishop is in the Bible, and, and uh, that, that was correct, you see. That was meal. But the woman put the leaven into it. Eventually, you see, the, it, the, the bishop got totally disconfigured. Why? Because Rome was the capital, the leading uh, city of the whole world, at that time of the whole civilized world. And so whoever had the religious authority in Rome certainly carried more weight than somebody that had religious authority in some little city called Ephesus, right? Or some little city called uh, Thyatira or, or uh, uh, you name it. Okay. Eventually... Rome began the the bishop of Rome began to develop so much authority that they had to they had to uh, 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 have names for those who were functioning. You see, before the things started to grow, and this is what developed the the ongoing hierarchy. In other words, where whereas in the Bible uh, beyond bishop there was nothing. Bishop and elder mean the same thing in the New Testament. They're the they 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 have the exact. They're uh, equivalent, okay. But because the bishop of Rome was growing, the city was so strong, the weight began to be so strong. Then you see, you had to uh, you had to differentiate, and so there was a bishop, and then there was an archbishop. Who was the archbishop? This was the one at Rome. The arrest were just bishops, but there had to be a higher level of bishop. This is an archbishop. See, and as the thing was spread out, then you had to have a higher level than the archbishop. So you had a cardinal. You see, a cardinal was the highest priest, and the archbishops were flung all over the place by this time, and then the bishop were flung all over the place and then the regular priests were flung all over the place you see and the thing finally uh, culminated then so that you could go even a step higher the thing reached a pinnacle and so out of all the cardinals one of them would be chosen to be the supreme priest that's the Pontus Maximus okay now this didn't happen overnight I mean this is an evolution no one just sat down and dreamed this up this is not a business work chart that somebody said this is will open a new company right. Right. this just spontaneously developed with the development of the history of the Roman Empire okay yeah okay <clears throat> I think you can see it now during this time of history this thousand years we're talking about from uh, say uh, you know, 500 and something to 1500 and something. This is a thousand years of time. 
This thousand years in secular history is called the Dark Ages. That's right. Okay, it's amazing. The very age of the Church of Thyatira in history is called the Dark Ages. There was no learning. There was no advance in knowledge. There was superstition, fear. Everything was on a, a level that when finally that age ended came the secular age called the Renaissance. Uh -huh. Y'all understand what I'm talking about, the Renaissance. This was the recovery of the man's ability to think and learn and progress in all fields. Okay? And so things began to take off in that form. Why, Why were these the Dark Ages? Because at that time the Bible, the Scriptures, were taken away from humanity. And they were locked up in the Church of Rome put under the lock of what? Of Latin. Not only did people, not only did only a small number of people understand Latin, you see, and you were forbidden to read the scriptures in any other language. But not only that, but even if you knew Latin, you weren't given a copy of the scriptures because only they could only be read by the priests. So they really were the bridge, right? You follow me? So you see, all of this, uh, when you lose the light of the Bible, then all this gives ground for all the superstition, right. all the fear to come in. Right. And uh, this stifled any kind of, uh, in, in fact, if you invented anything, if you came up with any novel new idea about anything, this was an insult to the religious system of the day, and you could very well lose your life. So this kept everybody and everything stifled for 1,000 years. This is history. Not just unbiased unbelievers writing history say this is the dark ages. Okay. Then uh, I would also like to mention how that Rome, the, the Church of Rome here, became a, a political power. Okay. As I mentioned, the church was ascending, the political realm was descending, and so the political, the church, which should have been a real priesthood to begin with. Uh, the king, the king Constantine was a king or a Caesar, and he became a priest. You see, in uh, in the opposite way, the priest who should have been someone that was a genuine priest of God, he became a king. So instead of having the king priest, now you had the priest king. Do you see the difference? And so the supreme pontiff became the priest king. And the Roman Empire finally was changed into, if you've studied history enough, you know that uh, the Roman Empire was not the only Roman Empire there was. There was first the Roman Empire, and then there was what? The Holy Roman Empire. That was ruled not by the Caesars. That was ruled by the Supreme Pontiff based in Rome in, in the Vatican. Okay. You all know this. You, know you do know you've heard the word Holy Roman Empire, haven't you? Okay, this is how it happened, you see. The authority switched from political to religious. A thousand years where authority in the civilized world was based on religion that had its source in paganism. At this point, when the papacy was established and the pope and the, the whole hierarchy that was set up at this time started to prevail over all the civilized world. The Pope, according to Matthew 16, you see, it, that's where it says, I'll give unto you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth has already been bound in heaven. What you loose on earth has already been loosed in heaven. They took that and applied that to the Pope. You know why? Because 
he was in the succession of Peter who the Lord spoke those words to. Where did Peter get involved in all this? See, I'll, I'll, I'll win. You just give me time. Okay, you'll see. You see, these words are spoken to Peter. So if you're in some kind of twisty, uh, you know, uh, maneuvering, there was established an authoritarian line. Okay, and that authoritarian line carried out the the uh, supreme the function of the supreme pontiff, which today we call the Pope. And you all know, we all know that even today, this is still adhered to. The Pope is today's vicar of Christ. He is a supreme pontiff. Okay, he holds the highest office, and as as uh, if we have time to see, his words are now listen, not the speaking of the word of God, but they are the official words of God, whether they came from the Bible or not. Am I right or wrong? This, this was established with the doctrine of papal infallibility. And that, that became papal infallibility was established as a doctrine as late as 1951. In that year, they said whatever he says, acting in his office as the vicar of Christ on this earth, whatever he says, that, that is officially, you're officially bound to that as to God himself. Now, there may not be a, a, a verse uh, to back up a thing he says, but that doesn't make a difference. <clears throat> okay? So he had the keys, you see. <laughs> I mean, really, obviously, he didn't have the keys. Even Peter didn't have the keys unless he exercised them spiritually. Okay? And when he said unto you, he didn't mean just you, Peter. He meant... He meant <laughs> Peter was representing us. I give to you the keys. Do you think think the Lord Jesus ever envisioned a pope sitting in Rome having the keys of the kingdom and and pontificating? See, he's a pontiff, so what he does, that's called a... He pontificates, right? So he he pontificates and he says, okay, uh, what what country, uh, uh, unless you pay, uh, you know, 5% more uh, to the headquarters, then we cut you off. No more sacraments for you. No more. Listen, this this is this this went on. These were the kings of the earth, and 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 the uh, headquarters in Rome. Now, I'm not being biased. This is history. This is history. You read any history book, okay? That will cover these ages, and you'll you'll get the picture. Any history book that that's got. Uh, that's sound. That's got a reputation. I, I don't mean by a believer. I mean just. Uh, an authoritative history book, and it will tell you the, thing, yeah. the things. The kings of the earth were in submission to the papacy. Right. They were in collaboration. And that's where the papacy got her wealth, because if they did not submit their kingdom and their people and their money into the papacy, then they could be issued pontificates, <laughs> which were like... Uh, these these were authoritative statements. They are called canons or bulls. Okay, not 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 the animal bulls, but these were canons. I don't mean the boom canons. <laughs> they were they were uh, official statements. Okay, that's for, the canons and bulls were official statements. And these would. 
tell whether or not the key turned to the right or the key turned to the left, whether the door was open or the door was locked. Okay, no more sacraments for this country because uh, the king decides he doesn't like uh, the uh, authority of the uh, 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 city of Rome under uh, Pontus Maximus so-and-so. And he's against that. And he, does, he, he, he thinks uh, maybe he has a pagan background and he doesn't want to give that up. And so he doesn't require his country to come under the, the uh, teachings of the Roman church at that time. Then you just send out, you see, in that fear and without the word of God right. to say otherwise. There was no backbone in anybody. They had nothing. They had nothing to rise up with. You see, it wasn't until the Bible began to be translated by some of these early translators like Wycliffe and Tyndall that people began to rise up and say, "Wait a minute, that the Bible says this, and the papal and the Pope said that. These are not the same sayings. Who's right?" And that is what started the Reformation. Okay, got it. Okay, you see, this brought the kings to their knees. Do you follow me? All the kings had to submit. That's right. You say, oh, if I was a king, I wouldn't submit. You would, you would submit. Because once the decree went out that says no more sacraments in the country of England, and this happened uh, at least more than one time, because England would totter between Catholicism, even when Protestantism began to come up, they tottered back and forth. One king would say, oh, I'm throwing off the yoke of the Roman Empire, the Holy Roman Empire. And the Pope would say, oh, is that so? We'll issue a decree. No sacraments can be administered by any of the Roman priests in the whole country of England until the king changes. This put the fear of eternal damnation yeah. into the hearts of all the people. Mm -hmm. Because without the sacraments, they had no way or no hope of eternal life. That's right. Because salvation was through the sacramental manipulation. And so without the sacraments, no salvation. Without no salvation, you went through the... the uh, tortures of purgatory to end up in eternal damnation like a fire so that's your destiny and all of this pressure these the populace would rise up and pressure the king they would revolt i mean you, people will do anything for their for the sake of their eternal destiny right so they would rise up and they would force the king to recant and the pope would say that's not good enough we want it to be public. They had public displays, and you know the kings would have to take off their shirts and in the snow and and go barefooted to show how humble were, and, and bend over and let the priest flag them, you know, with things and uh, repent. It's all a big show, just a show. You see, just it's kind of like in today's word, Buster. You just think if you do this again, you just think about it. This is what'll happen. Only worse next time. See, that's all the problem. It wasn't pretty. Uh, okay, you see, it became a political power. I think you got it. Yeah. All this money was flowing in all the time, you see. Uh, 
to the Vatican. The Vatican became the, the, the bank on earth. You know, today we have a world bank in the secular world. It's the world bank. The Vatican was the world bank of that age. No one... Had, Listen, at one time, because the, the decree went out with all these, you know, if you'll make your pilgrimages to Rome to to uh, come to us where the religious headquarters is and and uh, you, you offer up a certain amount of money, you see, that would, I mean, there was a time when that would do what? That would eradicate your sins, you see. You would be absolved from sins. And at this time, people would, I mean... Uh, not a few people. Uh, I mean, we're talking about hundreds of thousands of people would come and give whatever money just to show, oh, hey, this surely will secure me a place in heaven. They had, at one time, they had two priests with rakes, or you know what we would call today's rakes, who did nothing but rake the money that was cast there back, and 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 they did this day after day after day, just two rakes all the time, raking gold and all whatever came. You see. It became a fabulously wealthy place, and the thing became a city. And later it became, it became a city-state. I mean, today the Vatican is a city. Do you know any other city on this earth like, like the Vatican? Really? Think, okay, you tell me, where's another city-state on the earth? Singapore. Okay, there's, there's one city called Singapore. Y'all know that Singapore is a city-state? It is. It's right at the tip of Malaysia. It's not part of Malaysia. It's a city-state. Okay, do y'all know any other? And technically, you can say it's not, but you can't say it is something, okay? Okay, well, my point is, you see, that's gone. But there is one that is powerful and prevailing, and that's the Vatican. It is a state. It's a nation. Those acres, if you're, I, I've got some maps or something at home. I've, gone, I've looked at every building, I believe, in the Vatican in these pictures. Okay, I mean aerial shots. Yeah. I mean the railroad goes through it, you know, and all kind of things. And of course, the big thing it opens at St. Peter's Basilica, you know, has a big square where uh, you know hundreds of thousands of people can gather, and the and the Pope can come out uh, at the window up, you know, on the third floor, and 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 you know how they bless the people and, and so on. and you know do something like that at a special occasion and all the people there roaring and so forth well that's at the that's at the the uh, on the grounds right in front of St. Peter's and so forth uh, just too much uh, anyway believe me this whole thing is quite a setup I don't know the exact acreages that it covers but Let's say that there's uh, roughly 200 acres of land. It's totally walled in, and it's so powerful, so prevailing. Everything centers there that it's called. It's it's a nation. I mean, it sits in a chair in the in the United Nations building in New York and votes. Okay, I've got to hurry, y'all. Just just hang in there. I'm going doing my best. Okay, now uh, number two, it's the it, or, or number four, whatever I'm talking about. It's it's the ultimate in mixture. Okay, it's the ultimate in mixture. Thyatira, which is really Babylon the Great, eventually is the ultimate in mixture. Okay, what is this? This means uh, that it is mixed things in a way, not not worldly things per se, like Pergamos. Yeah, but religious things with a pagan source so that it put in this leaven okay 
And this leaven, listen, was not the world outwardly, obviously, but it was religious things having the names of God and of Christ and of the Spirit and of the church, but having its source in paganism. These things were made this mixture the ultimate. It's one thing, it's one thing to have a mixture in the church that you can distinguish. And you can say, oh, the church is so bad because look, we're so full of the world. Look at how people dress. Look at how people talk. Look at the activities that the church does. This is all the influence of the world. At least you can identify it. But when it's mixed in, in the name, using the name of God, the name of Christ, and the name of Spirit, yet mysteriously, you don't know where it came from. You don't know what it is. You, you, you can't fathom it. You just have to accept it because why? It's been this way for 2,000 years. When it's like that, then, and you can't distinguish it, therefore you can't reject it because it's not obvious, then you have got a mixture that is the very nature of Satan, which is what? Subtlety and hiddenness. Okay? So it is the ultimate in mixture. Then I would like to mention the principle of Thyatira is twofold. Okay? Here's the principle. Uh, I've already given you one principle, but now here's two more principles. Number one, it, there, is a, there are two sources of authority, not one. In the true Philadelphia, there's only one source of authority. That is the Word of God. Okay? If any man speaks, he must speak as an oracle of God, according to 1 Peter. This means his speaking is the revelation of the Word of God. That's why the foundation of the church in 1 Corinthians is Jesus Christ. And then in Ephesians it says the foundation is what? is the revelation of the apostles and prophets. Because why? Because those apostles and prophets spoke the Word of God. Therefore, through their instrumentality, they became part of the foundation. And you know the New Jerusalem has, in the foundation of the wall, they have 12 layers. These are the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Okay? So... So whether somebody is an oracle of God or not, you determine by behind their speaking, is that substantiated by the Word of God? If it is, you can, you can listen to them uh, confidently. If it's not an expounding of the truth, then you have a mixture there and you should, you should uh, turn away from it. Okay, so they had two sources. They had the Bible, and what was their other one? Tradition. Mm-hmm. See, at first it was just a saying, and then it became a more solid thing. Then it became more solid. Then it became very fixed, and then it became dogma. Eventually it became official Roman church doctrine. Spoken by somebody at some time, but not based on Scripture. It's based on tradition. And that tradition has a capital T. And they don't try to hide this. They come right out and say it. You know, I've I've done considerable study on this and also on the counterpart of the Roman Catholic Church, which is the Eastern Orthodox Church. These were the two similar churches. They're very similar. Only when the Roman Empire divided, the, the Catholic state in Rome and the Eastern Orthodox had their headquarters in Constantinople, which is today's Istanbul. Okay? 
they would come right out and say, just read it. You say, we're at, we believe that the Bible and tradition. They, they, uh, absolutely. I, I should have brought... I have a few books I was going to show you later if you're interested. I'd recommend some books, but I didn't bring that one. Uh, anyway, come right out and say it. Right out and say it. Okay, so these are two sources. We reject tradition. Tradition begets tradition. It's, 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 uh, uh, it's, it's a... Uh, I don't know how to... The right word. It's a... Uh, Continuation—it's an ongoing. It's—it's it's going from one degree of error to another degree right. of error. Okay, because you know, the source is off. You just—you you just extend it. You see, right at the very first, if two lines diverge at the at the very beginning, it's just a slight. Yeah. But you see, right. you extend it over time. That's right. And yeah. and a, after a period of time, look how far apart they are. You see, this this is that was this is how it, it's developed. You yeah. see, okay. Uh, then I want you to catch this principle, and that is the principle of the Roman church was this. Not to convert purely the people that they uh, went after to Christ or to the Word of God. But it was to uh, incorporate their beliefs and practices and take those. Don't reject them because if you do, the people will be angry and they will not embrace Christianity. So they would incorporate the customs and practices of those religions, find the ones that people treasured most and bring them in to the Roman church, put Christian and biblical names on them, but the practices were pagan in nature. Got it? Okay, now I, I'm still hurrying, but I'm, I'm going to get through this. You just watch. Okay, you got all this? How you doing? Amen. Are you sweating? You're not sweating. Okay, I'm sweating. I'm still uh, quite, I'm quite animated by all this. But, you see, uh, I'm trying to give you this as a historical yeah. basis, as a biblical basis, so you can know what has transpired and where we are today on earth so that we can forsake all. We'll see later the final word. Come out of her, my people. Amen. Come out of her, my people. Amen. You see, that's God's call to us today is Amen. to come out of her. Okay, now, uh, look on your outline. Uh, this is the church in Thyatira. Now, I'm going to buzz through this. Because uh, uh, I'm not treating this, as I mentioned earlier, I'm not treating this like the other, uh, you know, epistles of churches. I'm just, this is just part of the whole presentation. If you don't get it all, I don't think it means that much. Now, some of this will mean something to you just based on what I've said already. Okay. Okay. Uh, this is chapter 2, verses 18 through 29. Okay, A. And to the messenger of the third church in Thyatira write, <clears throat> excuse me, these things says the Son of God. Right here, do you see the Son of God is mentioned? This is new in these epistles. What is this? This is verses what? The Son of God is versus whatever man might say. These things say the Son of God, not some human decree. You see? This is a special, not the one. You see, there's a special uh, reference here. Right. Who has 
eyes as a flame of fire and, and his feet like, burn, like shining brass. The two-edged sword was for Pergamos. You know why? Because if you allow that sword to cut away, then you're spared and you go on positively and the negative just uh, dies off. Okay? No sword here. Pergamos needed the dealing. There's no dealing here. There's just total judgment. So the eyes are, are a flame of fire. Fire does not separate. Fire just burns it all up. That's good. And his feet are like shining brass. You know, in, in Revelation 1, the brass feet were feet as if they had been fired in a furnace. They're not shining with glory. They're shining with heat. For judgment. Brass in the Bible typifies judgment. They're shining with judgment. So wherever he steps, that's he obliterates. That's right. Okay, that's the judgment. That's good. Okay, so the eyes is a flame of fire. You see, in other words, what he's trying to say is, brothers and sisters, don't ever say, don't ever say, uh, well, we just need the sword to cut away and things will be okay and so forth. Right. Uh, don't try to reform this this thing. Okay, don't try to reform it. It's beyond that. It is, God has declared it right. to be no, not salvage, salvageable. Right. <laughs> salvageable. Not salvageable. You can't save it. You can only judge it. That's right. And you'll see the ultimate judgment comes in Revelation 17 and 18. So don't say, well, I'm going to be a nice guy. Don't be nicer than God. God has His way. You'll see. Wait till you see His 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 consummate judgment, and you'll say, "Man, that's all. That's it." You see, that's it. That's right. Okay. Then B. I know your works and love and faith and service and your endurance, and that your last works are more than the first. Uh, no doubt the church in Thyatira here, both that was at that time in Asia Minor, had these characteristics. But it is a characteristic of the, of the church of Rome. There is no uh, religious system that has ever existed that is more active in doing works and activities than the church in Rome. They are into everything. And, and, and it's more now than it was in the beginning. It's worldwide. It sits on many waters. Okay? It's worldwide in nature. It's this woman that sits on many waters and is full of activities. Political, humanistic, benevolent. It's full of everything but the experience of Christ to be the testimony of Jesus. It's full of pontificates. It's full of canons. It's full of stands on moral issues, on abortion. It's full of stands on uh, on uh, crime, on capital punishment. You name it. It's, it has. It has. Uh, it is so active. Okay. Catholic schools. Catholic hospital. Catholic. There's. It's full of endurance. The thing will endure. Believe me. Until you, until its destruction, which is in Revelation 17. Okay. But I have this against you that you tolerate, look at this, the woman who? Jezebel. Jezebel. Remember what she did? She rejected the true God and brought in the pagan practices. You tolerate the woman Jezebel, okay, who, listen to this, calls herself a prophetess. And she teaches and leads my slaves. She teaches and leads my slaves. You see, she teaches. 
right here. You know, you know. First of all, in the Bible, God forbids a woman to teach. Right. This is clear in 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 uh, the New Testament, First Corinthians. Right. They are to be in silence and to be under the authority of man. In what way? In the way of teaching, not in the way of speaking. You can speak. Yeah. But in the way of defining uh, doctrine and truth, they, this has been uh, this has been given to uh, to uh, the male and not the female. Okay, y'all y'all know this, right? So when it says keep silence in the churches, that doesn't mean don't speak or don't sing right, or don't right, testify right. or something like that. That means don't say I got the light and I have a revelation that no one has seen me, sister so and so. No, you're off. God doesn't allow you to do that. <laughs> the apostles and prophets are for that, but not not the sisters. Okay, okay. This just God's. This just God's way. Uh, so what? Most of the brothers don't don't do that either. So you're not missing anything. <laughs> okay. Okay, what am I doing here? Okay, she teaches. You see, eventually she is the woman. What's the, who's the woman? The Roman church. She teaches. Okay, here's the point. The, the point is, there has developed, year by year, decade by decade, century by century, the teaching of this woman until it is no longer... It is, in other words, here's her basic premise. It's not... You listen to the Word of God, but rather you listen to the teaching of the church. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's the teaching of the church. The church says, the church says, the church says, the church says. You, you listen to any cardinal, archbishop, you just says the, the doctrine of the Catholic Church. They won't say, let's sit down and get into the book of Philippians. Let's look over at Ephesians. Let's see what it says in uh, the Gospel of John. Let's read Acts and see what the pattern is there. You see... It's, uh, if we want to be in Philadelphia, this is what we do. We don't say, we don't say, well, uh, our tradition is what what. We don't do that. We say, let's get in the Bible and let's 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 look at the treasures. Let's look at the things. You see, as long as you can substantiate it by the Bible, you should speak a lot. But if you don't, if you can't substantiate it by the Bible, you shouldn't say a word. Okay. But don't you think the Catholic Church has spoken nearly all of her, not all, but nearly all of her words? Without the solid Bible basis, think about it. You will not find many regular members of the Roman Church that are really strongly into the study and grasp of truth of the Bible. They just rest on the on what she teaches. And leads my slaves astray to commit fornication and to eat idol sacrifices. Okay, of course, fornication, uh, you know, is a is a, an illegitimate relationship. And here, the relationship is this: it is a spiritual fornication. Okay, and the fornication is there has been a union between the holy things of God and the pagan things of the devil. And that is the fornication. It's an unholy union. And, and of course, the pagan things are idolatry, right? So it says to eat idol sacrifices. Okay. <clears throat> D. 
and I gave her time that she might repent, and she is not willing to repent of her fornication. Behold, I will cast her into a bed. You know what a bed is for? It's for rest. It's for sleep. You know, it's hard to live the human life without a bed, isn't it? You know, everybody needs a bed. You, you, we don't have anything, but we got to have a bed. Okay. <laughs> See, we're, we're totally broke. Then the first thing we save money for is clothes and a bed, right? And food. If we just if we can just have clothes, bed, and a food, then we exist, right? Otherwise, where you know where do you sleep? That's right. You have to have a bed. Okay, I'm telling you, it's normal. To, uh, the Bible expects us to sleep in a bed. Okay. <laughs> I know the Lord Jesus had no place to lay his head and so forth. But uh, anyway, he grew up in Nazareth. I'm pretty sure he slept in a bed. Okay. It was during his ministry that he was traveling. He didn't have a place to lay his head. But anyway, for 30 years, he had, he had a place. Okay. Okay. Uh, but you see, uh, here she's cast into a bed. Is this for sleeping? There's another time you get in bed. When is that? You're sick. Here she's cast into a bed and she doesn't come out. She stays in bed. This means she is incurably and terminally sick. Okay. God's judgment is into bed for you. You're, you're sick. There's only one place for a, a truly sick person. And that's bed. And those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation. This is not the great tribulation, but this is a, this is uh, into great tribulation. In other words, great problems. To get involved in that way, uh, has, this earth has suffered under that. Uh, much tribulation has occurred, which <clears throat> I'll, I'll win that case later too. Okay, uh, where are we? Unless they repent, you know it's funny. It says it doesn't say you know in the Bible it says repent of your works or or, or something, but here it says repent of her works. <laughs> Even he's calling him calling these people to repent. It's not to repent from your works. It says repent from her works. And I will kill her children with death. And all the churches shall know that I am He who searches the inward parts and the hearts, and I will give to each one of you according to your works. I have a lot to say here. I don't have time. But I say to you, the rest in Thyatira, as many as do not have this teaching. I think you know what's meant there. But look at this phrase. Who have not known the deep things of Satan, as they say. The deep things this is the third time Satan has been mentioned in these epistles, right? You know, we had the synagogue of Satan in Smyrna that was persecuting. And we had the throne of Satan in Pergamos where the world was. But those are little, those are just little, little leaguers. The big boy is the deep things of Satan. Just like, the, just like, you know, in 1 Corinthians you have the, the deep things of God. What is that? That's, that's the revelation of Christ. That's the depths of God. Here, 
Satan also has deep things. You see, everything God has, Satan has a, has a counterfeit. He has his depths. What are his depths? His depths are also a mystery. You know what that mystery is? The mystery of all of these pagan things having been incorporated into the church in Rome. I place no other burden upon you. Nevertheless, what you have, what you have, hold fast until I come. Just that it says until I come shows you that it will be here when the Lord gets back. Then F, and he who overcomes, these are for the overcomers to rule with the Lord. And of course, in the context, I think you can realize what's needed to be overcome here. And he who keeps, look at the word works again. This is several times works have been mentioned. Now the Lord says, he who keeps my works. Okay, not her works. Not your works, but what is the Lord's works? That's his, that's his finished work that brings us into genuine salvation. Until the end, to him I will give authority. This is in the coming kingdom over the nations and will shepherd them with an iron rod as vessels of, potter, of pottery are broken in pieces as I also have received from my Father. Okay. And I will give him the morning star. The promise to the overcoming ones is Christ as the morning star. Saints, this is the precious portion of Christ. In this age of darkness, you know, the kingdom will be the age of the shining of the sun. But right now we're in the age of darkness. Christ is not with us except in, except in spirit. So we live in darkness. The light is inside his believers, but the age is dark. But in this age of darkness, you know, the darkest time of the night is that little hour or so right before sunrise. That's the darkest time because the moon is gone and everything. The darkness is the thickest at that time. There is one light there. You see, and that's the morning star. That's our enjoyment, you see. In this age of darkness, where Christ cannot, He's not here on earth. He's not, I mean, He's not here physically, you know what I'm saying. This is darkness. When He comes back to rule and reign, this will be light. But now we enjoy Him, and we're waiting for His coming by enjoying Him as the morning star. These are His faithful, seeking, loving believers to rise early to see the beauty of the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Gracious. Okay, now. Okay. Before we lunch, I've got to I've got to uh, substantiate some of my bold claims here, so I'll try to do my best right now. I got some notes because some of these are quotations that I've tried to glean so that <clears throat> you can do it. First of all, I want to. Uh, yeah, then we'll get into uh, the consummation now, and that will that will be the consummation. But you got to you got to see where it ends. You got to see it. Okay. First of all. I want to point out that uh, one of the things... Now, okay, here's what I'm attempting to do. I'm going to take a few points, just a few, just maybe four or five simple ones, and show you 
how this thing came from here through one of these lines, ended up in the church in Rome, got incorporated into it, and got given a biblical or Christian framework and became part of Mystery Babylon the Great. Okay? So by giving you a few examples, you can apply that to a lot of things. Uh, but but just to, to do it. The first one I would like to say is how that uh, we have, we have uh, on the earth uh, uh, perpetrated through the Roman church, we have this uh, thing that's called the mother and the child. Right. Okay? Yeah. Right. We call it the Madonna. Okay? Uh, how many have ever heard of Madonna? Okay, I don't mean uh, yeah, the right. movie star. <laughs> if you have a teenager, you can get caught up on a lot of things. <laughs> I appreciate this one. She told me, I don't know anything about Madonna, but uh, she says, she said something, Daddy, she's really in bad shape, something like that. I wanted to say, well, how do you know? But anyway, I didn't say that. <laughs> I was just thankful that, you know, there was a, that discernment. So that's good. <laughs> I, I don't know. I shouldn't judge. I don't know. I don't know the person. Except, anyway. Okay. You see, uh, Semiramis, the wife of Nimrod, and Tammuz, her son, who was miraculously born somehow or another, that uh, I guess mostly historians speculate about. But anyway, she made him the sun god as a child. Reincarnation of Nimrod. Okay. The ancient uh, pictures that come down to us through discoveries are with her always holding the child, you see. It's a, it's a mother-child type thing. Uh, and it's a worship type thing. It's just this mother-child. Okay? And this thing got uh, spread into the different, uh, uh, you know, cultures after the dispersion in Babel. This same picture, not the same, I don't mean the woman looks exactly the same, but the same setting with the woman and the child. And sometimes a woman is nursing the child. This is, this is a part of it sometimes. But this same woman with a child has been a cornerstone of many, many, very many pagan religions. Right. Amazingly so. Uh, <clears throat> let me just mention a few just to give you an idea. In Chinese, in Chinese this woman was... Uh, the way it's in, in English it would be spelled Xingmu Xingmu her and her child and listen they even had rays of glory around her head so when the Christian missionaries went to China and saw I mean the Catholic missionaries and they saw this picture of mother and child they thought that their picture of Mary and Jesus was the original and here they found a picture that looks just like it and had been there for centuries With halo, with I mean, it was it was incredible. Uh, in German, 
the uh, mother is called Hertha, and she has the child. If you if you're from one of these places and you you've heard of this, uh, in Scandinavia the, the mother was called Ditha. She held the child, Ditha, D-I-S-A. The Etruscans called her Nutria. The Druids. This was a real, uh, very ugly. Not ugly. What I mean is. Uh, uh, gross, dark, uh, pagan religion in England, the Druids. I mean, these, these had human sacrifices, sacrifice kids, children, things like that. Anyway, their mother and child, uh, her name was Virgo Patatura. In India, her name was Indrani. And in Rome, her name was Venus. And the child was Jupiter. Okay. Now, remember I said that Nimrod equaled Baal? Nimrod became Baal in that particular line. And Semiramis, you see, <coughs> Baal uh, is spelled like this. Semiramis, uh, this was Nimrod. Semiramis was translated Baal T or Baal T, you see, which I, I don't have the exact thing, but probably the wife of Baal, something like this, you see. This is Baal T. Now, <clears throat> Baal T has, let me give you these translations. In English, you know what the word Baal T is transliterated into in English? It's called My Lady. Now, you consider how many terms. It's my lady. It's either my lady of the lake or my lady of the this or the my lady of the that. The my lady is 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 uh, the 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 queen. You see, the mother and child, the mother Semiramis, she was called the queen and and eventually developed the title the queen of heaven. And this was passed down through all of these other mother and child uh, situations until the child was the sun god, S-U-N, and she was the queen of the heavens. Balti in English means my lady. In Latin, it means mea domina. It's, that's Latin, okay, uh, which is my lady also. In Italian is where it got kind of a, you know, somewhat uh, transliterated so that uh, it came out with a little different form so that in Italian it was known as Madonna my lady Madonna okay the Italian see Rome is in Italy so the Italians are the home of the word Madonna okay so don't name any of your kids Madonna <laughs> this, this would be serious uh, somebody real quick, uh, you got the Old Testament. Uh, read Jeremiah 7, 18 through 20. Jeremiah 7, 18 through 20, because we're talking about, see, this the concept of the Queen of Heaven is uh, quite a strong one, and the Madonna with the mother and child were spoken. Okay, read this. Listen to this, saints, very carefully. Okay. The children gather wood, and the fathers kindle the fire. And the women need dough to make cakes to the queen of heaven. Okay, listen, do you hear that? This is sacrifices. They're making cakes. This is idolatry. This is idolatry. They're making sacrifices to what? The queen of heaven. The queen of heaven. 
and to pour out drink offerings unto other gods, that they may provoke me to anger. Is it I whom they provoke to anger, saith Jehovah? Is it not themselves to the shame of their own face? Therefore thus saith the Lord Jehovah, Behold, mine anger and my fury shall be poured out upon this place, upon man and upon beast, and upon the trees of the field, and upon the fruit of the ground, and it shall burn and shall not be quenched. Okay. See, there was the, the queen of heaven. The queen of heaven got got the uh, the eyes uh, eyes of the flame of fire, right? Okay. This is the mother and child. Do you know the shock that all the missionaries occurred when they went into all these pagan cultures and saw a rendition of the of their Madonna, but in pagan form with pagan names? It was shocking. See. <laughs> This was originally incorporated, you see, from this source here and got into the Roman Catholic. And so when they went out later and found these things, they were simply finding what had originally been discovered and got, and got uh, leavened into, into that religion. Okay. Uh, of course, Mary worship evolves from her being esteemed you know, when she took a pro uh, gradually, she took a prominent place in that system. Now, you cannot have a Catholic background and deny that Mary does not have a very unique place. You can't even be you can't even be an educated person and not know that. That is a fact. That's that's a fact. It's historical. It is also part of Roman dogma. Okay, it is there. That's it is right. not hidden. It is perpetrated. It is uh, it is uh, pushed uh, emphatically to the point that you, that our relationship with the Triune God is definitely, very definitely involved with her. If you don't believe this, you really have failed to follow the teaching of the, of the Roman Church. But if you do follow that, you can't be saved because, because you have somebody involved in salvation other than, than the triune God. So you see, this is why it's so evil. Because <laughs> you can't be saved if, you, if you're into that realm. Now, before I say anything else, let me, let me hasten to say that, that many in the Roman church today, they did get saved. They did get saved. But they did not get saved because they followed the dogma of the Catholic church. They got saved independent of that. Right. And found themselves in the midst of that situation. And some of them stayed there uh, a long time. Some of them even for all their life. And were, and were saved and did trust and believe in Jesus only for salvation in spite yeah. of the situation. You see. But nevertheless, the veneration of Mary still was in their uh, consciousness and sometimes even in their belief. <laughs> you can't deny that, that they got saved. You cannot. Don't say all Catholics are not saved. They are. I mean, one of the first things I heard after I got saved was that, was that all Catholics are going to hell. They're not all going to hell. This is the Protestant reaction. Yeah. Uh, They're not all going to hell. A lot of Protestants that are going to hell. Take that, that they, 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 
they, like, sorry, that you have a name that you're living, but you're dead. Okay. Anyway, but the fact is, if you have to rely on the teaching to show you the way to salvation, you, you will not find it. Because theirs is a way other than the one mediator, which is Christ. So Mary was, of course, uh, uh, exalted to the uttermost. But listen, this didn't happen overnight. It wasn't until 431 that she gained the official status that she was a that she was to be venerated. Uh, and this basically means to be worshipped. Uh, some people have little nuances of definition, but anyway, it's 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 a powerful word. Uh, you see, it wasn't there in the initial church. Ephesus never had any. Can you imagine what the, what John John doesn't know? What in the world is Jezebel? I mean, what, what's all this? Uh, he was totally at a loss for sure, and he could never foresee all of this. Could you imagine if if uh, if John walked into the Vatican today and someone said, "This is this is the uh, this is what uh, the death on the cross produced"? Wouldn't you think the Apostle John would have thought? <laughs> My goodness. Okay. Number one, uh, Mary is the mother of God. <clears throat> y'all know this, right? Uh, Catholics, don't y'all all know? I mean, isn't that what you were taught? Mary is the mother of God? That's one of the prayers, right? In, in, in Hail Mary. How does Hail Mary go? Hail Mary what? Mother of God is the next phrase. Now tell me, I, I've never said it. How's it go? Holy Mary, Mother of God is the last part. Okay, ho- Holy Mother. Holy Mary, Mother of God. Holy Mary, Mother of God. Okay, sorry. Okay, it's the Mother of God. Number one, is she the Mother of God or not? No? Yeah, there's a little difference in there. <laughs> a little difference. See, she, she, was, she conceived... In her womb, the conception was of the Holy Spirit. Okay, the Holy Spirit was God, and she, uh, for lack of a better word, supplied the humanity of Jesus. Okay, so you can say she's the mother of Jesus. The Bible never said she's the mother of God. It just says it said in the Gospels to the Lord, "Your mother is here," and and, and you know things like this. Okay, it, to, to say it's the mother of God has an implication. It's uh, pretty, pretty uh, unbelievable. Okay, so uh, the basic concept is like this with Mary. Uh, the basic Catholic concept is like this: Mary, being the mother of Jesus, has a special relationship to Jesus that others don't have. She has His ear. Therefore, if you really want to get uh, the attention, to get the sympathy, to get the understanding of Jesus, uh, you do a better job to go through the mother because the mother is more c- compassionate, more sympathetic. And the... Okay, okay, y'all, you can. Am I being too much or am I speaking the truth? I'm just, this is the truth. You know, the, the, the backbone of the story was, you know, it, it grew out of this that uh, one person went to Jesus and uh, uh, Jesus was so... It pictures Jesus as kind of a real stern, kind of half-angry person that doesn't like to be uh, appeased very easily. So you need Mary. 
You see, so so Christ is the mediator, but Mary is the mediator to the mediator. So she's a co-mediator. This is what nullifies salvation. Okay? This person couldn't... Jesus was too angry, so he went to Mary, you see. Mary understood, so she went and... You know, you have this little picture of uh, kind of... You know, you know Jesus... Uh, Consider things a little differently. You think, you know, it's it's, and so finally Jesus is influenced through Mary to have mercy. When you go, why do they go and kneel down to the statue of Mary to pray? You think that I mean, there's got to be a reason. You see, she has she has the influence. Okay, if you want to, we know that we go that that uh, that to gain God, we have to take the uh, way of Christ. In Christ, we gain the Father. He's the mediator between God and man. But now here's something added in. This is 11. Right. Added in. Jesus doesn't... In the, you know, the whole, the whole uh, uh, portrayal of the Bible, especially the Gospels, is that Jesus is the ultimate in sympathy and understanding. Right. And this portrays Mary as having... Uh, as, as being the one higher in sympathy and understanding than Jesus. To anybody that knows the Bible, it's, it's, it, it's so ludicrous that it defies, it defies explanation. Uh, officially, now, you see, this is why uh, she's more and more being included in the Godhead. Gradually, gradually, there's not just a picture of three, even that they have a picture you see, is pagan. In the picture, an image? Yes. God would not allow a graven image. No. You see? So he, he, we don't have any likenesses of, of the triune God. Okay? And, but here's Mary, and she's being included because she has, she has uh, she's the mother of God and she has this influence, right? So you pray to her. She, and, and in some writings, it's gotten popular where she's called either the Redemptress or the Co-Redeemer. And this is gaining. This is gaining more and more. Not only is it there uh, in your consciousness, but it's getting into the print very increasingly more so. Uh <laughs> You know, uh, as I mentioned, of course, uh, idols, statues, idols of Mary, uh, don't they predominate? Is there any, is there any Catholic uh, uh, cathedral of any sort that would not have an idol of Mary? Can you, can you conceive of one? See? The only, <laughs> and when people go, they, they kneel down, they pray to Mary. Do you think a good Catholic never prays to Mary? Who's this? Uh, the leader in Poland of uh, of solidarity that uh, just got the presidency, Lech Wałęsa. You know, I was reading uh, an article about Poland one time and how he was. You know, he was the leader. Of course, it was. It's a Catholic country, right? Uh, the Pope right now is from Poland, and. Uh, he was saying how during those difficult days he would walk around and, and uh, 
and someone asked him, wasn't it just so hard for you to know what to do? And he says, yes, but you know, uh, every time I would just go for a walk and just say, Mary, help me, Mary, help me. And he says, you know, uh, uh, this just comforted me so much. See, this is how saturated the whole country is. He, he, he gives his credit to Mary for helping him in his political realm, you see. He went out and prayed to Mary. I mean, one of the world's well-known political figures. Mary, help me. You know, there's saints for every kind of help. You know, if you lose something, you know who, who helps you there? But you know the, the saints you pray to? You pray to the saints too. They, they answer prayer. The saints. And they're not saints like we mean, like believers. These are people who, who are in some extraordinary class. Aren't, you, aren't there some Catholics here that don't even know if you lose something who you're supposed to pray to? I can't believe it. Well, y'all weren't very good Catholics. <laughs> you pray to St. Anthony. St. Anthony, he's the, he's the one who answers a prayer about lost things. If you lose something, you say, Oh, St. Anthony, help me. St. Anthony, where is... I don't know St. Anthony. Anthony. Oh, here it is. Thank you, St. Anthony. Think of this. Is this. You tell me, is this idolatry? Is it paganism? Yes. Absolutely. Is it an is it an insult to the Godhead? Yes. Okay. How about the kissing of the statues? Has anybody ever considered where the kissing came through came from? I don't have time to get into it, but the kissing of idols is right up here and filtered all through these and came into the practice of the Roman church. Here, the kissing of the different idols. Oh, <clears throat> unbelievable. Mary has really, has really uh, gained a lot of uh, standing. Even in the rosary, some of you ever own a rosary? How many of you ever owned a rosary? Okay, you know what it is. I, yeah, even at, I, you, you think this is this is just the Catholic Church has a rosary? No, 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 no. The, the rosary, the beads, and so forth. These came from the other religions and got brought into the Catholic Church. They counted the things. And do you know that Mary's that there are for every time you have to say the Lord's Prayer in the rosary, you have to say the Hail Marys nine times more. Now you tell me if that's not uh, leaven put in there. Okay, then you know, uh, because Mary was exalted so high, uh, then there was a problem of sin. Because how can you be exalted so high when you, when you have sin? You see, this was always befuddling and somewhat embarrassing to the Catholic theologians, okay? So they finally... Uh, and, and this was not dealt with. It could not be solved. And it was not solved until the year 1854 when they had a huge meeting. I believe this meeting was in St. Peter's Basilica to determine whether she had sinned. And I can't, I, I can't describe how that whole thing went. And then they would go up and ask the Pope, you know, and he would say, I do not know. And this went on and they would sing some more glorias and and the big, you know, crescendos, and they would say, you know, does she have sin? And uh, on the third time, he says she has no sin. So that became official Catholic dogma in 1854. That is known as the Immaculate Conception. 
the Immaculate Conception. Now surely, if you've been around the United States enough, you've seen the Church of the Immaculate Conception, haven't you? And, I mean, don't you know, this is common term, Immaculate, okay. Immaculate Conception is not that Jesus was conceived in Immaculate Way. Immaculate Conception is that Mary was conceived in an Immaculate Way. Now, quote, quote, Pope Pius the Ninth in 1854, who was the one who made the final decision because he has infallibility, uh, right? I mean, this, this became accepted as infallible. Okay, here's his statement. This is a quote from Pope Pius Mary. Quote, In the first instance of her conception was preserved exempt from all stain of original sin. So she's not a sinner. She, she doesn't need redemption. She doesn't need to be saved because she doesn't have sin. See, this had to come in. Otherwise, how can you, how can you pray to and venerate and worship somebody if, if uh, they're like you? So it had to be dealt with. So this is what happened. Now, uh, the Catholic Encyclopedia says this, quote, No direct or categorical and stringent proof of the dogma can be brought forward from Scripture, period. Rather, it's a gradual development within the church. Now, here is what people say in the Bible that were around Jesus about His mother. Blessed is the womb that bare thee, and the paps that gave thee suck. They were starting to uh, exalt her a little bit, don't you think? Here's Jesus' reply. Yea, rather, <laughs> blessed are they that hear the word of God and keep it. Yea, rather. Can you believe... Here's what Mary said about herself. The one who's, you know, been pontificated about in 1854 that she's immaculate. She said in Luke 1.47, My spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. Then after the immaculate after the immaculate conception, you see, she she's with she's there with the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Don't you know that? She's with Christ. Otherwise, how can she talk to him? Right? No, this is really the concept. She's talking to Jesus all the time. He intercedes to the Father, but she intercedes to him. You see. Man, if we have to go through too many more people, it, you know, it, our words may get twisted around in the interchange, right? Yeah, maybe. Yeah. That's right. St. Patrick might jump in and say, well, in Ireland we didn't do it that way. <clears throat> okay. Uh, so she had to, she, uh, she can't be, she can't be waiting with all the other uh, dead saints, you know, that have passed away. She can't be there in the pleasant part of Hades. 
So she's got to be in the heavens. So they had to come up with a doctrine which they call the assumption. So if you never knew what assumption was, it's not, it's not like, well, I assume. The assumption is that she bypassed all the uh, things that, you know, death and so forth and uh, uh, waiting for the Lord's return to be glorified. She bypassed all that. She just went straight to the third heavens. So that's her assumption, okay? Uh, that was uh, pontificated in 19, in the 1950s by Pius XII so that she was officially said to have gone straight from earth to where Jesus is. Of course, Paul's not there, but that's okay. Mary made it. I mean, you know, it's, it's wild. It's unbelievable. Okay. okay, I have to hurry. Now, I want to come to the heart. I want to come to the heart of the, uh, of the heresy. And uh, this has to do with salvation. Salvation is through a system of sacraments. Okay? A system of sacraments. Not through repentance and faith, personally in a direct contact with God, but through a system of sacraments. Okay, the heart of the sacraments, which is the heart of salvation, is called the Mass. The Mass is a sacrifice of Jesus Christ to the Father, uh, portrayed through the uh, bread and the wine. Okay, so that bread and that wine is a sacrifice of Jesus Christ to the Father, so that by partaking of that sacrifice outwardly, you receive the salvation of that sacrament. Do you follow me? Do you, do you see how serious this is? This is this is an this is Jesus Christ in an ongoing way being sacrificed for our sins. Look up these verses: uh, Hebrews ten, ten, and Hebrews six, six. I'll come to them in a minute. Wait, I'll come to them in a minute. Okay, now listen. Listen to this definition. Do y'all follow what I'm saying? Okay. When Jesus died, He said, It is finished. The sacrifice was done. Okay. Uh, go ahead and read uh, Hebrews 10. Start with 10. By which will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Okay, see, once for all. Okay. Go ahead. Now read some more. And indeed, every priest stands daily ministering and offering the same sacrifices which can never take away sin. That's the Old Testament daily offering of sacrifices to appease God on a daily basis because Christ hadn't died yet, right? That's the reference. Okay, go ahead. But this one, having... This, yeah, this one, right. Christ. Having offered one sacrifice one, for sins. One sacrifice for sins. Sat down forever. For, on the right hand of God. Okay. You see? One sacrifice. One finished, all-inclusive, once for all. Okay? So the Mass is a re-sacrificing. And if you do that, you're, you're doing something serious. Because Romans 6, 6 says what? And have fallen away, crucifying again for themselves the Son of God, and putting Him to open shame. Okay. See, this is a re-crucifying of the Son of God. It's serious. See, it's the heart. It's the heart of the heresy. Is 
the sacrifice, you know, to become a Christian, we believe that it's done, and so we're forgiven on that basis. To have to do something to enact a new sacrifice for your sins is against the heart of the teaching of the New Testament. Yeah, that's right. Okay, here's what the uh, Catholic Encyclopedia says about the Mass. Quote, In the celebration of the Holy Mass, which is also called the Eucharist, the bread and wine are changed, okay, this is the key part, are changed into the body and blood of Christ. It is called transubstantiation. For in the sacrament of the Eucharist, the substance, this is a key, the substance of bread and wine do not remain. But the entire substance of bread is changed into the body of Christ and the entire substance of wine is changed into His blood. End of quote. So when you go and kneel down or whatever and the priest puts a little wafer on your tongue, <laughs> you're eating literally the body of Christ, the flesh of Christ. Okay, here's our rebuttal against that. <laughs> when the Lord had the first when the Lord had the table before His crucifixion that we call the Lord's table in the Gospels, uh, he, you know, he blessed the, the cup and the bread, right? These are symbols. Okay, they are symbols, but to the, cat, to, the, to the Catholic dogma, they're literal. Because if they're not literal, then uh, this affects your salvation. Okay. Okay. Uh, but you see, after he blessed them, according to the teaching, they turn into right. to himself. Right. But after he blessed them, he was still there. Right. So he couldn't turn into him because he was still there. Right. Do you follow what I'm yeah, saying? Right. It's silly. It's it's unbelievably silly. Okay. Uh, number two, after he blessed the elements, afterwards he still called it. Not his blood, but he called it the fruit of the vine. Okay. Number three, after he blessed it, he drank it himself. How would this means himself drinking himself? Okay. Now here, here's very practical. It's very crack. Okay, you take the the whole pitcher. Let's say let's say there's a pitcher this much of the wine that that upon the priest's you know invocation of it, it uh, changes. You know the priest has to officially say the right words. You know it changes into the blood. The, the you know the the uh, uh, flesh and blood of Christ. If you take that wine. And said, "Okay, Neil, here it is. Here's the whole picture. If you drank that, would you be drunk? Yes. Then it didn't change into blood. No. Mm -hmm. I dare anybody to drink that much wine and not become inebriated. That's 
state. Let me tell you something silly. Back in those days, when they were so... I mean, this was... You just don't know how sacred of a thing this this was in awe that you are fixing to partake into you the literal flesh and blood of Christ it's not so sacred today it's more traditional but at one time this is why that that they stopped taking the cup and they only took the wafer because the cup was harder to handle and there was more uh, of a percentage that you would spill some of the wine and if you spill some of the wine, you are spilling the literal body, blood and body of Christ. And this would hurt him or damage him. So they quit. They quit the cup. And they, no, for a long time, for a long time, they only took the wafer. Then the thing was, well, what if the wafer is dropped or broken or a crumb falls off? Then part of Jesus hit the ground. And this was, this Back when it was really thick, okay, I'm not saying that it's like that right now, but back when it was really superstitious, this was really punishable by torture and some other things because you, you, you damaged Jesus. So eventually they took, that, they took the cup away and they put an official teaching out, you see, that the blood... Uh, I mean that the wafer had the blood in it and so by taking one you took both now I don't know uh, among Catholics today that's been relaxed and now you can take the wine as well but how many of the Catholics when you took the so called mass or holy or Eucharist you took the wafer only do anybody remember like that you took the okay that was taking both the concept was you were taking both the body and the blood at that time okay and the priest would say, "This is my body." And now, uh, <laughs> there are two. Let me tell you just two two silly things. One Protestant. Now, this is probably where well, this happened. Actually, anyway, this came down in legend, and actually, a long poem was written about it. But uh, uh, a Catholic husband and a wife who was Protestant back in those when it was a real conflict. He was trying to convert her to Catholicism, so she had to take the, the, the sacrifice to be saved, right? The sacrament. So he, he had the priest come over, and she went along with him. She made the thing, and of course it doesn't work until he blesses it, right? So he blessed it, and so forth. And uh, she was all cooperative, and everybody was happy. The priest said, this, she's easy. And the husband said, oh, this is, this is not hard after all. Anyway, she uh, finally toward the end, he says, well, she says, uh, uh, are we going to partake of this? And does this mean, you know, I receive the blood of Christ, and I get, I, I, I'm saved, and so forth. And he says, that's exactly what it means. And, and then, then she said, are you going to partake of it with us? And he said, yes. And he said, uh, uh, anyway, they, they got ready to eat it, and and uh, and she asked, "Well, does it does it really transform into the literal body of Christ?" And that's all. I mean, when you did that, that's really what it became. And he said, "Yes," and that's all it is. And that's exactly what. Yes, that's right. She said, "Okay, good. You can go first. I, I was just really worried because I." I wanted to test this out, so I put some arsenic in this preparation. And uh, uh, anyway, I'm so glad it's changed. Uh, so you go first, and and so forth. You see, well, of course, of course, this scared him to death. 
You see, so this way, no, this opened the eyes of her husband. He wouldn't eat it either. So he said, "So this, this is ridiculous. This is ridiculous." She put arsenic in it. He waves his hand. The arsenic is gone. Would you eat it? He said, "Oh no." So you see, this exposed all the superstition about it. Okay, look, look, I'm, I'm rushing. I, I'm going. I'm, I've got to take a few. I've got to hit this point. Uh, so I'm taking you along, but can you stick with me? Give me 15, will you give me 15 minutes. Okay, can you make it? Uh, this is my body in Latin. Is this hoc est uh, corpus uh, mace. This is my body. That's Latin. <clears throat> When the priests, you know, the priests said, no, and those were only allowed to speak in Latin. They're only allowed to speak in Latin. So none of the uh, none of the people they were they were illiterate, right, in Latin, and so none of them understood anything, you know, what the priest was saying in Latin over things. And so this became this uh, this was hoc est corpus mace. What happened is these two letters got jumbled around in the same. The priest actually didn't know Latin either; they just knew the slogans. Okay, so this got this got jumbled around. This got jumbled around, and so this became. Uh, So this became when the priest was saying uh, was pocus pocus is all that they could understand. And so today this has caught on. And when people want to say something has really changed in form, you see they just say hocus pocus. You know something happens like it. That's all that they could make out of this Latin. They were just reeling off this Latin, and so they came with hocus pocus. That's right. Okay. Listen, listen. I don't have time to get in things like the confessional. The confessional, you know, the confessional, you, it, according to strict Catholic dogma, now I say this having read a whole book just on this one particular topic about one man's experience. It's called 25 Years in the Catholic Priesthood. Something like that. I think that's the name. And uh, this was all based on the confessional. Uh, and he went through this great turmoil with this young lady who would who could not confess to another human being her sins because she 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 didn't have the the courage. But the Catholic dogma, which he checked and rechecked and went to his superiors about, said unless she makes a confession to an earthly, you know, ordained priest, then her sins cannot be absolved. Okay. And she died that way. But she died really... Uh, I mean, this, this put such a strain on her. She just died. A young lady died. So this opened this priest's eyes. And he started getting into the Bible. And boy, he just got... Lie. I mean, the Lord really came in and rescued him. And he became very, you know, a very prevailing Christian after that. And spoke out many things and wrote this book. Uh, anyway... Uh, the confessional, you, you think about it. You have to do that to participate in salvation. That's a must. Okay? okay. Now, based on what? What is this based on? Can you give me a scripture based on this? Okay, there is one verse in the whole Bible 
There is one verse that says, Confess your faults one to another and pray for one one for another that you know that you may be I think it says heal there because this person was sick. The context of it is easy. Uh, there's a, there's a it's due to sickness and this person has a problem. Uh, the sickness uh, in the context, the sickness should be due to the person having a conflict with God's uh, government. And so he call he calls for the elders of the church to come in and they pray for him. And that's where it says confess your faults one to another. Okay, so there was some problem, and he was having problem with God's government, which is represented by the church. Okay, so there now that's one instance, very unusual situation. Okay, and he was sick because of his conflict with God's government. Okay, is this the basis to have a confessional with an ordained person in order for your sins to be? dealt with logically tell me okay. if you say well the verse is there and it could be applied this way then I would I would turn around it the verse says confess your sins it doesn't say to the elders it says to one another so if you take it literally if you go to confess to the priest to fulfill that scripture the priest has to confess to you otherwise you don't confess one to another <laughs> see see how silly it is okay oh me the, the whole deal on the Pope I, 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 I'll tell you the truth uh, let me just let me just mention this one thing about about the Pope you know the development of the hierarchy to result in a supreme pontiff that would interpret things this goes back to Nimrod being the uh, the uh, pontiff or the priest that would interpret the mysteries of the religion that was developed at that time, there had to be an interpreter. You see, of of the mysteries, and that interpretation, uh, you know, developed into dogma. Okay. Uh, let me just put it this way: the word interpreter. The word interpreter in Chaldean, which is where Babylon was in Chaldea, is spelled Peter. You can almost see it here. Okay, it's Peter. So, the, you see, uh, historically, the bishop of bishops of bishops of bishops, which finally became the pope, he was located in Rome. But it was to Peter, I mean the Simon Peter, that the Lord says unto you, I give the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and you have the authority to close or to open. So he, the authority was given there, so the authority had to be based upon him. This created the so-called line of secession of authority. So you had to get Peter to Rome. But Peter never got to Rome. The Bible says clearly he was the apostle to the Jews and Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles who, who uh, went to Rome. Okay, there's no evidence, every evidence against Peter ever going, why would Peter go to Rome? Okay, it's, it's, all, it's, it's all out of kilter. Okay, no evidence whatsoever. 
So, but you've got to find something. So by taking this word, interpreter, which was the pontiff's function, and they got the word Peter there, you see, and they took this word Peter from the Chaldean language as, a, as the basis of him being the, uh, you know, uh, being the one in Rome that actually went there, lived there, and died there, and is buried directly beneath St. Peter's Basilica. And his, the, the chair of Peter, which is the throne of authority, is there, and whoever sat on it after him in, in succession, you see, uh, had the keys of the kingdom. It is incredible, isn't it? Well, against apostolic succession, let me just mention a couple of rebuttals. Number one is the, the popes from day one all the way up to present have issued many statements and canons and so forth. And if you put them all together, you see how one contradicts another, which contradicts. They're full of contradictions. So how can, how can they have been the voice of God when they're full of contradictions? One said, you can do this. The other said, if you do this, you're cursed. And the other one said, if you don't do this, you're cursed. You see, number one, the contradictions. Number two, how can somebody represent the authority of God that lives in a sinful condition? Okay, who, who am I talking about? There was a percentage, only the Lord knows the number, but I know of a good number okay that their sinfulness and promiscuous type of lifestyle shocked even the ones that went there you know one of the reasons Martin Luther was converted was he went to Rome and he saw the the uh, the uh, fleshly lustful way that was <clears throat> that the leaders were living uh, the immorality of some, some of them, uh, not all, but th there were some good men there. But in some cases, some some people had uh, they had what today we would call like harems, full of concubines, and they lived this way. See, now, do you think this person had the keys of the kingdom? This is history. I I, I don't like to say. I mean, there's a lot of things that are they're just ugly. Okay, but I'll, uh, uh, this is history. Okay, how can this be? How can this be God's Christ vicar on earth, living in this kind? Of, even the Catholic chronicles of history name these people as being uh, people of debauchery, but they just still maintain that the line of authority, which is ridiculous in nature anyway, was never broken. And number two. One pope, which is for a short time, he was very clever, very smart, and, and gained the uh, political struggle to become pope. The only problem was he was really a she, dressed like a he. So a female slipped in there, but that didn't break it. That didn't break it, you see. <laughs> yeah, we had a popus at one time. It's right. It's called Joanna. Okay. Now, uh, this is not pretty, but you know, in in Catholic uh, history, 
you do have this thing called the Inquisition, which went on for 500 years. I, I'm not going to say much about that, but you consider and judge for yourself whether, and this was against the Protestants who were being saved and rising up as communities in Europe and various places, so they would go and they would interrogate them. This is called the Inquisition to make them uh, renounce the faith and come back to the mother church uh, on penalty of torture and sometimes death. They invented all kinds of new mechanisms of torture. The most famous one being the rack, where they, you know, tie your hands and legs and stretch, stretch until you know your your bones go out of joint. <clears throat> this was very painful. <laughs> anyway, they had a lot of they had a, they invented a lot of cruel tortures and then of course burned people at the stake. It's estimated that during that period of time, for the sake of either uh, for the sake of uh, either standing for the faith or recanting that uh, uh, approximately one million people were martyred which is more than the Roman Empire killed back when they were killing them politically so this was done all in the name of God okay. listen to kill anybody in the name of God is serious right to kill somebody that is confessing the same God as you, uh, you think about it. But it's history. It's history. Oh dear. Okay, I got five minutes. What to do in five minutes? Not much. I wanted to go through a couple of festivals with you. Uh, well, I wanted to go through the winter solstice. The festival, you see, all of this revolves around the sun. And so once you realize the sun was a big object in idolatry, etc., etc., you realize how the, the winter solstice, this is when the days stop getting shorter and starting to get longer. Okay, it, it occurs, uh, usually occurs on December 23rd, okay, called the winter solstice. This was always in pagan religion celebrated by a season of, of festivities and so forth. Honor honoring the rejuvenation of the sun god because it would start to be stronger, have longer days and so forth. Okay, uh, So this was a great celebration to the sun god. This was incorporated into uh, because it was so popular to stand against it would alienate people. So because of wanting to be not, not to offend the populace for popularity's sake they, would, they incorporated this into the Roman church. Uh, the Roman, uh, and they don't hide this, they don't hide this. Uh, the Catholic Encyclopedia says, quote, the well-known solar feast of Natalis Invicti, that's Latin for the nativity of the unconquered sun, S-U-N. Natalis Invicti, nativity meaning birth, of the unconquered sun, celebrated on 25 December has a strong claim on the responsibility for our December date. You, you, you understand me? Follow me? Then, uh, okay, I, I don't need to say much about that. Christmas is Christ, Mass, put together as one word. Okay? And it is, 
in Rome, it was the the Roman god for the sun was actually there's two. The soul, one was Sol, and one was Saturn. You see, and so the season of festivity was called Saturnalia, and uh, all of the things. I don't have time to go into it, but it's amazing. Nearly everything that uh, even is part of the American culture can be traced back to these. an item from one of the lines of the pagan cultures. Okay, I'll just mention uh, one or two real quick. Okay, a tree. The tree. You know, the original tree was was here. See, the seed is always here. Uh, Nimrod died. He became an old stump of wood, and then out of this stump, uh, a tree sprung. Okay, and this tree was uh, uh, Tammuz. Okay, so the, this uh, tree represented, uh, you know, represented a, a birth uh, of new life and so forth. Uh, that was the beginning of the fable, how the Tammuz came out of the uh, dead stump of Nimrod. The trees went through the different cultures, and I'll just give you a couple of examples. In England, the Druids, in their culture, their sacred tree was the oak tree. Okay. In Egypt, you can imagine that that tree was the palm tree. And in Rome, which is closer to us, because Rome began to filter down in various degrees into uh, Sardis or into the Protestant Reformation, uh, their tree was the fir tree. Okay. Now, uh, uh, look up 1 Kings 14.23. Okay, real quick. Uh, could you look up uh, Jeremiah 10, mm-hmm. 3 and 4? Okay, listen to this now. <clears throat> and they also built for themselves high places and columns and asherahs on every high hill and under every green tree. See, on every high hill and under every green tree. Not just tree, but every green tree. This means what? This is an evergreen. Right, right. See, it's an evergreen. Okay, so this has something to do uh, with the, with the pagan worship. Okay, uh, listen to this. This is what the historian named Erling, spelled U-R-L-I-N, says. Quote: The Christmas tree recapitulates the idea of tree worship. Gilded nuts and balls symbolize the sun. All of the festivities of the winter solstice have been absorbed into Christmas Day. The, the use of holly and mistletoe from the Druidic ceremonies. The Christmas tree from the honors paid to Odin's sacred fir. Odin was the god of the Scandinavians. Okay. Yep. For the for the statues of the peoples are vanity. Statues of the peoples are vanity. For it is a tree cut out of the forest, worked with a chisel. Okay, now, now see, start, start, start over. You, this gets this. The, you know, the Bible doesn't say much, but li- just listen to this one verse. For the statues the, of the peoples are vanity. Are vanity. For a tree cut out of the forest worked with a chisel by the hands of the artisan 
They deck it with silver and with gold. They fasten it with nails and with hammers, that it moves not. <laughs> this was a pagan, pagan custom in the Lord. You know what he said about it. You see how all this filtered down? Okay, I told you I was going to win. Now you're mad at me. <laughs> okay. Oh, that's too much. I'll tell you one cute story here. Uh, have you ever noticed the hat that the Pope wears? Have you ever seen that, that uh, silly looking sombrero? <laughs> have you ever seen the Pope's hat? Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it looks like Napoleon Bonaparte kind of, you know. Have you ever seen it like it's a... Uh, it's kind of, kind of, kind of goes like that, and you know, here's his eyes under here. <laughs> it, no, really, it's like. Have you ever seen the Pope's hat? Okay, okay. I don't have a picture. All I can do. You know where this hat comes from? Okay, look here. Sideways. When you look at it sideways, the hat. Uh, actually, it's. That's too thick. When you look at it sideways, the hat is like that, okay? In other words, if, if the Pope were walking this way, the hat is like this, okay? And, okay, let's say, uh, let's say you know, uh, this is his head and mouth, so forth, chin. Okay, and uh, this is the back of his, his head. Okay. <laughs> and his eyes here. Eyebrow. Okay. <laughs> this hat is it comes from the the hat that the high priest in Greece wore for the worship of Dagon, the fish god. And what and what it was, was this hat. You see, this is the fish's head. This is his mouth. And down the backside was worn this long robe, which was a scaly robe that he walked around like that. And, and uh, they, they, eventually the robe was dropped, but the hat was kept. And so he's, he's wearing the hat of Dagon, the fish god. <laughs> Okay, now, uh, I have a lot more. I, I just don't have time. To, I, th I think, is this enough for you to get the point? I mean, you, you've got the point? Okay. Let's, uh, let's air ourselves out and have lunch and come back in uh, about an hour and we'll finish up.